On January 7th, 2020, Neil Peart, the drummer and main lyricist of the Canadian rock band Rush, died of brain cancer. Because of his personal influence on both of us as well as the progressive rock community, we are dedicating this episode to his honor. Welcome to Prog Notes. Hello, everyone. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And welcome to Prognotes. This is episode 21 of Prognotes. If you're joining us for the first time, this is a special episode dedicated to someone both, both Drew and I respect so deeply, so it's going to be a bit different. Uh, but we wish for you to stick around for future episodes with us, so please subscribe to the show so you can always be notified when we launch a new episode, as well as check out the last, well, 20 episodes we've already done. Um, so I said this this episode is looking a, a little bit different and it's going to be special. Drew, uh, why don't you tell everybody how this episode will look for everyone? Sure. Uh, as you previously mentioned, um, Rush uh, or Neo was a big influence on both of us. Uh, Rush is one of our favorite bands ever. Uh, I, I, you oh, know, yeah. Jointly, they're probably our favorite, if not favorite individually. I, I mean, that, that they consumed our lives, basically, in high school, yep. particularly. In high school, particularly, yeah. And they, they were a big bonding element for you and I um yeah for, for you and me and, and musically musically they, they were just a catalyst for what we would go on to do and and shape our identity as musicians I mean they, they were a huge huge influence and Neil was a, a, an incredibly integral part of that group and so we just wanted to to you know show some some I don't know pay homage to him pay some tribute to him uh yeah a fantastic um lyricist and drummer for the group an amazing musician um, a very caring person i think as far as i know uh, to his friends and family uh you know he even did some philanthropy he was a very generous person as well um so uh, because of that and uh and everything we we, we wanted to make our list of, of 10 favorite songs by him uh you dustin handle stuff more in the the sphere of drumming um, and me yes. a little bit more in the sphere of lyrics, and it's perfect because that's that's what Neil did uh, for the group was drums and lyrics primarily, uh, you know, amongst other things. But uh, those were his two primary contributions to the group, I think. Um, yeah. And so you made a list of ten, uh, your ten favorite uh, Neil drumming pieces, um, and I did my ten favorite lyrics by him. Um, so. Anyways, well, well, and and this is songs. Just just to say, ten favorite drumming songs and my ten favorite songs with him as a lyricist. Yeah, and um, yeah. So we're just gonna go through those lists and say why they impacted us and why we chose them and, and all that stuff. So, um, do you want to tell a little bit more about how you chose the songs on your list? Yeah. So the, uh, the you know me taking over the drumming side as as me being the drummer, Drew being a, a lyricist himself. So. Um, so just a little bit of a, a little bit of context as to uh, who Neil Peart was as a drummer. You know what was he known for? How did he make his staple in the rock and drumming community globally? And uh, I was actually curious of the of the perspective of non musician and or non Rush fans of Neil. So I actually uh, took some initiative and went out and asked several uh, friends of mine um, whom I, I, I was not aware if they even knew who Rush was. So I, I asked actually a couple, about five, six people um, that I know, just do you know who, first I asked them if they know who Rush is. And if they said yes, the first thing I would ask them was, what do you know or think about the drummer? Um, besides a lot of the responses I got were besides, you know, they, yeah, we just heard he, he died, but I, I was at like, what did you, 
what do you know or think about their drummer in, in the band? And, and a lot of the responses I got were stuff like, I've heard Tom Sawyer, he plays those big drum fills, or I heard stuff, um, how they've seen how big his drum set was. Um, so apparently people uh, were very obviously very familiar with Tom Sawyer, very familiar with how big his drum set was. I also had a few people say that they knew a few songs by Rush and they loved air drumming to his like incredibly high to low Tom fills. Mm-hmm. Um, more so historically speaking, though, Neil could arguably be the single best combination of just rudimentary precision and a master at meters, mathematical meters. Keith Moon's just, uh, what's the word I would do? Bombast, I get like just, yeah. he's, he's, he's a rocker. Neil's, Neil's a rocker. And, and take it from somebody who's watched him rehearse, um, to paraphrase Keith Olbermann, quote, he hits the drums really hard <laughs> and he's a thinking person's rock star and he fueled rush's complex huge sound coming from just three members so he, he had a he, i mean he's one leg of the tripod you, you you don't have his leg you don't have a tripod so he held up a huge part to this band and so in honor of him i've selected 10 songs to a list i titled destin's 10 rush songs to sum up neil peart um, and those are to highlight the reasons why Neil was so extraordinary as a drummer. Quick context to my list before we go into uh, some context of your list, Drew. Um, just a quick preface, three bullet points. My list consists of this. And I've, dude, I don't know about you, but this was the hard, this is one of the hardest things I think I've ever had to make when it comes to creating a list of music. This was oh, yeah. so difficult. I listened to the entire freaking discography of Rush just to try and figure this thing out. Yeah. Um, but three three prefaces here. So the first one is live performances are not a part of my list, only studio tracks. Live performances, they're awesome, but I'm only including studio tracks. This is also not a top 10 best of Neil because that's just essentially impossible. Like I tried that at first. <laughs> I tried that at first and it just didn't work out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's impossible. So what I've done is I've picked out 10 songs that I believe give insight to who he was as a drummer and really to sum up the overall... Who is Neil Peart and why do you think why do people think he's so great? Why was he so great? Whatever. As well as, and the last bullet point I have here is Neil's solos also are incredible, but also are excluded from this list. So I'm only choosing studio tracks, no live stuff, no solos. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the sum up of my list. But Drew, what do you want to say about uh, Neil as a lyricist? I'll get into that. I also want to add uh, a little bit before I forget. Yes. Uh, that you and I don't know each other's list at all. Oh my gosh, um, yes, we don't. That's the this best is gonna part be so about fun. This. this is going to yes, be so fun. So great. it is It is a very sad uh, occasion that we're doing this episode, but it's yes. also really fun. We can remember the good times, and I think what's going to be fun uh, for us personally is, you know, we both love Rush so much. We know their songs, you know, like the back of our hand. Yeah, we do. And, Every album. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what you chose, Destin. So I'm I'm yeah. very excited about that. I wanted oh, to, I'm to put that I'm out pumped. there. I also wanted to put this kind of segues a little bit into him as a lyricist and a thinker, um, and more on the uh, you know verbal and, and linguistic side of things. Um, yes. That you mentioned, he was a rocker, and yes, in a drum sense, he absolutely was. But it's so funny because. The guy is a very laid back individual. He has his creative outlet, which is which is drumming or whatever. But when you think of rocker, at least when I think of rocker, I think of like Kits, Led Zeppelin, ACDC, yeah. uh, who led the quintessential rock lifestyle. And yes. Neil did not. 
he did didn't. not live this, you know, crazy life where, you know, he was destroying hotel rooms and hooking up with groupies all the time and drinking himself senseless. Like, you know, a lot of people in the, the rock community, 70s old, rock community, especially, yeah. yeah, especially the early, the burgeoning beginnings of, of, of rock, you know, of, well, yeah, rock I would say of hard rock, rock, yeah, and, hard and, rock, and rock and hard rock, um, you know, late sixties, early seventies type of stuff like the who and, and even Rolling Stones too. Rush in general were very different, but Neil, especially he loved reading and he loved nature and he loved taking his time. So, um, I, I just wanted to, to segue into that. Uh, yes, but, but, uh, I'm, I'm going to go on script. A lot of times I go off script. I'm going to go on script. Uh, and, um, just here's some stuff that, that I wrote about him as a lyricist. Okay. Uh, I just want to say that I like almost all of Neil's lyrics. His stuff in the seventies mm. was super nerdy. Um, but very creative too. And I love that. I love that it was nerdy. Um, I think that that was when he was his most brainy or intellectual in a sense, or tried to appear. So at least it contributed to their image as a prog rock group for sure. It had Greek mythology. Yeah. It had Greek mythology, like in hemispheres and literary references like Xanadu, which references the poem Kubla Khan by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who was a poet from the the era of English romanticism. And then they had these epic pieces like the sci-fi inspired 2112. The stuff he wrote back then had lots of lore and or world building. Credit. It even had historical references like Bastille Day on Caress of Steel. This is talking about the French Revolution back in 1789. Yeah. All of this was so unique to rock at the time. Rush was not the first prog rock group. And they were not the first ones to posit more profound or challenging lyrics into the realm of rock. But I think Peart's lyrics were the first to really convey these concepts clearly and concisely. Hmm. It's not uncommon for me to get lost when listening to prog lyrics or even miss the point entirely sometimes. Some of that may be my own limitations from my own cognitive paradigm, but it could also be that some of the lyricists, as much as I appreciate them as musicians, like in Yes or even Genesis, have really intriguing concepts to share, but they just don't express them very clearly for others. It might be Mm. a little bit of both, but with Neil, there is seldom a song I can't understand. His lyrics were deep, meaningful, and sometimes academic while also being understandable and relatable. Yeah. Yeah. But he really hit his stride as a lyricist, I think, in the 80s and 90s. This is where he really added a lot of emotion to their sound and more relatable lyrics. They were still intellectual and thought-provoking, but the sentiment behind the songs seemed to be much more grounded with stuff like subdivisions, feeling like an outcast, or after image, the the painful loss of a friend, or mystic rhythms, being perplexed by the awesome forces of the natural world, dreamline, facing the wonder and terror of our own mortality, or mission, the inspiration and imagination from one's own ambition. Yeah. Some of these concepts may seem larger than life, quote unquote, Uh, but I think lots of people have these thoughts and these feelings from time to time. It's what makes us human. And Neil articulates them so well. My senior quote from high school was a Rush lyric. And even though I love Rush, that was a hard decision to make. I love quotes from everywhere. I love quotes from all sorts of places, movies, TV shows, books, music, crud, Destin, you know that. I quote stuff all the time. You and I both quote stuff all the time from a variety of media. Um, So choosing a senior quote was very difficult for me because there were so many different quotes that I love from everywhere. And even in the realm of just music alone, you know, barring film and television and books and all that. I could have chosen Pink Floyd. 
or even Led Zeppelin, right? Yeah. There, are, there are great lyrics in, in Pink Floyd's music and the Beatles, right? There's oh, yeah. a lot of great lyrics out there uh, in, in the realm of, of, of music in general and even just alone, let alone prog rock. But I chose a Neil quote. And it's actually a song that I really don't look to very often, but I think it really sums up. I don't even remember what it is. That time. I have it on a coffee mug. I didn't make it. One of my friend's moms did. She was like, hey, I saw your senior quote. I made you a mug, which I thought was really cool. It's from Grand Designs. It says, we break the surface tension with our wild kinetic Wildly dreams. kinetic dreams. Yeah. It's a fantastic, elegant phrase. Um, and so that that's him as a lyricist. That's him as a lyricist to me as well. Um, I also want to give a quick preface about this. Um, yes. Preface to the list. Right. Quick word. Um, these are my favorites. They are my favorites for different reasons. I'm not a scholar. I try to put some objective analysis into a lot of these, but since this is my list, lots of these are based on my personal attachment to these lyrics. Are these, oh, okay. uh, I said, are, are, are there some that should, should have been on here and weren't, are there some on, uh, some on here that were, that weren't written as well as others that aren't on the list? Maybe. Um, but you know how a certain part of a song can hit you so hard that it makes you love the whole song around it. Mm -hmm. That's how oh, some yeah. of these went. Yeah. I would look at a song and I would think those are good lyrics, but this stanza right here is the reason I chose this song. This one yeah. phrase makes this song worthy of being on the list. Um, another note, which you already kind of said, Destin, this yeah. was an incredibly difficult list to make. Oh my I, God. I know for dude. you as well. Oh um, my Lord. He, he was an absolutely incredible drummer and lyricist. So it was near impossible to, to pick just him. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I um, mean, it, 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 I went through, it took me two and a half weeks to make this. It took mm -hmm. 10 songs, just 10 songs. It took me two and a half yeah. weeks. Yeah. And like you said, it, it is impossible to do a it best is. of. It's impossible. So just so you know, going through this, some yeah, of you Please don't like, insult us for not yeah. including a song that- <laughs> Yeah. I don't want to hear any of this, like these comments being like, how could you not have put this on this song? It's hard. Trust me. Get it. I, I'm almost certain that we thought of putting it on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Probably just so, so you know. Um, yep. Again, it's going to be super fun because I don't know yours. That yeah. was an oh, extremely great. long intro, so I will shut my mouth and let you get on with your number 10. I'm super excited. Okay. All right, so let's go right into this. So my number 10 is coming from their 2007 record, Snakes and Arrows. Mine is Malignant Narcissism. Ooh. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is not this is not the first song that I think of when I think of Neil Peart. But the reason why the reason why I included this song in the list is because of the story behind the song. A lot of Rush fans already know the song. I know Drew, you probably know this as well. But he, here's here's the story. Um, so as as mentioned before, Neil is known for his massive drum kit and at times his long tom fills to the public. But that can also bring on the question: Well, why does he need a big drum kit? Can you not just play on a small kit? Like, can you not can you not just play on a regular drum kit? And this song proves that he can. So the short summarized stories behind the song is that Getty wrote this freaking epic bass riff in oh, the studio. It's so good. It's so good on a fretless bass. He cut this bass riff after they had cut the record. And so the engineer wanted it to be a third instrumental on Snakes and Arrows. Neil's drums were already gone from the studio at this time, but the studio had this little four-piece kit that they recorded Neil playing. Um, and then Alex added his guitar parts later, and that's what the band coined as Malnar. Um, so what I love about this song is that you still have the great YYZ-like 
uh, bass and drum fills. And although I, I, I believe Getty is truly the man who is driving the for who's the driving force behind the song, Neil certainly showed that it doesn't matter what kind of drum kit he's freaking playing, he'll deliver a great grunt, uh, he'll deliver a great drum track. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like compared to some of the other instrumental tracks by Rush, Malnor definitely holds up to it. Like it holds its own. <laughs> oh heck yeah! Oh here you we know. go. And this is fun. Oh yeah. So yeah, super simple, just two minute long instrumental, but he's still like Neil adds force. He's driving the song, and it it, it really didn't. I mean, I I didn't know until after I went and researched the song that it was recorded on a different drum kit. I just assumed that it was on his. So it's uh, it's just it's it's on there because well, it's just a freaking epic song, and he. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of kit he has. He doesn't need the massive drum kit that spins around in 360. He can he can play. He, the kid can play. <laughs> so that is my number 10. That is my number 10. I don't know where my dad got the the phrase. Maybe it's something in the community that I just haven't heard. But my dad used to always call him the doctor. The He's doctor? Like, There's the doctor or the professor. The professor. No, I think the professor that's, that's, is actually something that they call the, him. That was a like thing. a nickname. Yes. Yeah, they, you know, Getty and Alex used to call him professor. Yeah, and even uh, everybody dad, in the uh, in the drumming community as well. Like the drumming community right. calls him the professor, and and the reason why for that is because we're always learning from him. Right, we're right. always learning from him. Like the dude just taught us so much in forty right. year drumming career. The dude just did, he did so many incredible things, and that's why this list was so hard to create. But yes, right. That's, uh, well, and like a good professor, uh, any good teacher knows that they are also a perpetual student. And he went out and learned some more, even though he was, he was. That is <laughs> you know, he, you know. So um, I appreciate that. So um, anyway, that's my number ten. So Drew, fantastic. What is your number ten? Uh, my number ten uh, is from their nineteen seventy seven record. Uh, Farewell to Kings. It is the title track, A Farewell to Kings. Oh! Yeah. Sorry if mine are a bit louder. Uh, (laughs) Oh, that was Um, great. It's a fantastic track. Okay. Um, I think this is a good indicator of how I said earlier, of how Neil wrote in the 70s. He was a bit, I don't don't know if the term is verbose, uh, but he used very uncommon words. Some that some might say were archaic, maybe not archaic, but they weren't in the vernacular. But I love the imagery in this piece lyrically: withered hearts and cruel, tormented cruel, minds. Tormented minds, yeah. scheming demons dressed in kingly guise. It's a fantastic phrase, dude. Um, yeah, it it reminds me of some 18th or 19th century poet, and I think that's what he was going for for most of this entire record, "Farewell to Kings." It yeah. seems that this record had an old English or regal Western European feel to it. Talking well, about kings and castles in the distance. Um, so this demonstrated his prowess, I think, as a writer and an ability to use intellectual language in the realm of rock. You want um, to know a little fun fact on the Sure. You yeah. Know that, you know that Farewell to Kings was recorded in Wales, right? I did not. Yeah. Oh. It was, so, so, yeah, yeah. They, they recorded it. At uh, I mean, it was obviously still released by Anthem, but it was recorded at Rockfield, Rockfield, excuse me, Studios, which is in Wales. So probably some, um, you know, I guess I mean wherever they were. I mean, they were obviously in that area, which is what exactly I wanted to plug that real quick. I used to know 
almost everything about all of their records because there was a book I read and I'm blanking on the name. I think the author was Martin Popoff. I don't know why I know interesting. that the it's author interesting rather than right there. Uh, yes, I'm not kidding. It was Martin Popoff. I'm not. <laughs> wow. Because I always <laughs> you popping off, <laughs> popping off, <laughs> popping off, bro. Um, uh, oh, love this be... bridge. Oh, it's a great. Oh, it goes away. Um, but it it, it goes through um all of their lyrics uh, or not lyrics, um, their records. And it gives like a history yes. on each of them. So it, this was a really interesting book because it went album by album. And nice. I'm sure at some point, I think I remember one little fun fact. We're getting off topic super quick, but this was really interesting. I think that's where Alex got his pilot's license was during that time when they were recording Farewell to King sometime either during or shortly before or shortly after it. Oh, interesting. Uh, anyways, uh, but that's also where they expanded a lot of their um, musical equipment, right? With yes. with you know the twelve string guitars and yeah, some more because this album this album was right after twenty one twelve, which was huge. Yes, exactly. And so they were able to kind of expand their arsenal, their musical arsenal. <laughs> yeah, for just three people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, to to wrap up the the lyrical content, getting back on track, I, I like how Neil has this call to action, like he does in a lot of his songs. Actually, at the end, he says, "Can't we raise our eyes and make a start? Can't we find the minds to lead us closer to the heart?" Uh, which I love is how that's just picked out yeah. from another song yeah 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 so um cool. i think this is an example of neil's idealism he's even admitted to to being an idealist um you see that in a lot of his songs he's all about freedom improving yourself and doing your best to make the world better for others uh i think he did want to make a, a more humane world and he wanted his lyrics to help with that um i i can't remember i, I looked up a lot of different things and, and one for the sake of time uh, but two, well, for sake of time on the show and two, because I just didn't have that much time. I, I, I didn't have like an audio clip of it, um, or an exact source, but I know I read or heard somewhere, um, him saying, uh, that, that his, his lyrics, he wanted to help contribute to making a better world. And hmm. I think that's beautiful. So, yeah. That Anyways. song also kind of reminds me, it, it, sound, it sounds the, with the words that they use with kingly guys and, you know, all of that kind of, it sounds political to me. Um, that's always, yeah. that's the way that it always came off to me as it sounded, uh, like you said, 18, 1900s, uh, the lyrical side of that, but it also sounded 18, 18 19th century uh, political. That's what it kind of, yes. I don't know, that kind of came off to me that way. Yeah, so, absolutely. That's cool. Absolutely. I love that song. That song's great. Yeah, me too. Okay. All right. You ready for, nine, for nine, my number nine? Yes, number nine. Right. Here we go. Number nine. Mine is coming from, oh goodness, 1982, Signals. This is losing it. Ooh. Oh boy. Um, so I, I chose this song, and everybody's probably going like, what about, what about subdivisions? Yeah, just, just wait, okay? That's me um, right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> what about subdivisions? Yes, I just give me a second. Um, there's a reason, there's a big reason why this song is on the list for me. And, and it's because of the, who Rush is and, and where this song fits in their discography and also the shadow that it lived in behind subdivisions and, and really just the entire signals record. Um, Rush is a fast moving up-tempo progressive rock band. And in 1982, almost in the shadow of subdivisions, 
lies this incredibly interesting drum track that honestly I, I think expresses a totally different feel for Neilan in my opinion. And so the reason why this song is on my list is because of a few reasons. The first is, as I said before, Neil is known for hitting the drums extremely hard. But in this song, <laughs> it doesn't sound like that the whole time. Um, in fact, what I love about this is that he actually uses dynamics of the snare and the cymbals to build the song. And with the skipping ride cymbal and the very faint hi-hat pedal, he, he just builds the song so well, moving from the rim clicks to the snare and then creating this skipping 5-8 rhythm. And then he suddenly releases into this smooth, like open 4-4 chorus. But then after that, it gets crazier as we're listening to right now. And it switches to this 11-8 bridge and introduces four new variations of the same rhythm during that section. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely brilliant. And it's very easy to see in this song, I believe, how well Neil constructed his drum parts in yeah. everything that he wrote. What was, I personally believe, in my opinion, what makes a great drum track is great use of dynamics and variation along with creativity and drive. And something that bores me with some more modern music and the drum parts is that they're looped. They're just looped drum parts. And, and yes, they may add parts to build a rhythm section, but rarely do I see small, I guess, variations within the drum kit. And right. Neil was a master at keeping the rhythm section new like he was always throwing and plugging in new stuff into the song and yes a lot of a, a lot of this song is pretty technical but simple variation goes a long way in opinion for a drummer and so i chose this song because i thought it highlighted how well neil constructed and just it's when you listen to the song you can't help but just see it's like there's no way that the dude improved all of this like he uses all of the drum kit in a very smooth way to build and create tension and release and mm -hmm. it's brilliant it's an incredible song lyrically too i believe it's an incredible song mm -hmm. um but that's why it's my number nine so interesting yeah it's a fun uh, song to play it it's is a really yeah. fun and song not, to play that's not one that you typically think of as a as a drum like one of the the most prominent drum pieces out of their no. entire discography, but I, no. I think it's great that you chose that. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm yeah. Mad. That's it's, awesome. That's it's awesome. really cool. It's a really cool track. I mean, there's there's honestly um, there's not another song like it. I don't think that Neil. Play there's some of some of the rhythms that he plays in that song um, are not heard anywhere else in Russia's discography. They're just not. And it's because mm -hmm. of uh, one, because of the meter, but also because of the feel of the song. The feel of the song is very different than most other Rush tracks. I mean, the yeah. the very beginning well, of the song is very uh, somber is the first word that comes to my mind. Um, right. And uh, and yeah, any way he builds it is is incredible. It so. is. It is a somber track. And actually, until their R40 tour, their 40th anniversary oh tour, my I'm fairly gosh. certain. Until that, they had never played it live. Never played think. it live. No. That was and the first time they played it live yep. was on I the have R40 the DVD. Tour. I got and the DVD of it. How fantastic. How fantastic. And they brought back um, Ben Mink, the guy who actually played the original yes. electric violin electric part violin. to it. And he yeah. was on stage with them. That's just, that yeah. makes me so happy to see. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's my number nine. So that's fantastic. It's yeah. uh, we'll, we'll get to mine in a second. I just wanted to say real quick that yeah, uh, uh, definitely glad you made this list. But this was the, the, tough for me because there are 
certain songs that I'm like, I hope Destin put this on his list because I'm not a drummer, <laughs> but there are some songs yeah. I'm like, Oh my gosh, drumming wise, this is fantastic. This is creative. This is brilliant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just, I'm super excited oh, to yeah. see it's more. Great. Anyways. Great. All right. My number nine, you can okay. just go ahead and play it. You, if you want me want. to cue it? Okay. Cue it up, bro. Here we go. Here we go. Number nine. Shoot. This is from their 2007 record, Snakes and Arrows. I like that show this is a song called so Bravest Face. It's my number nine. Yes. This is a pretty dark song if you look at the lyrics. It's, the main yeah. refrain is, in the whole wide world, there's no magic place. So you might as well rise, put on your bravest face. Interesting. But the lyrics are written so well and in such a clever manner. I love the contrasting elements and how they rhyme. Yeah. And you'll, you'll hear it in here. In the soft, softest voice, there's an acid tongue. In the oldest eyes, there's a soul so young. In the shakiest will, there's a, there's a core of steel. On the smoothest ride, there's a squeaky wheel. In the sweetest child, there's a vicious streak. In the strongest man, there's a child so weak. In the whole wide world, there's no magic place. So you might as well rise, put on your bravest face. That's poetic. It, it's incredibly poetic. Yeah. It's beautiful and horrifying at the same time. Yeah. And it, it, it it's I, yeah. a perfect blend of those two of those two adjectives, I think. Uh, but but even though it's dark, I don't think the entire song, I don't think this whole there's no magic place, I don't think that is meant to be one hundred percent nihilistic. I think he balances that with the first lyrics you hear in the entire song, which are beautiful. It says, yeah. though we might have precious little, it's still precious. Yes. To me, this is the whole point of rising and putting on that bravest face because we have something still precious. What is that precious thing? Well, that's up into interpretation. I, I, I think it, it could be most anything. Love, friends, imagination, hope, peace, opportunity. There's a slew of things that you could go through that are worth putting on a bravest face for. Hmm. Anyways, it can seem like a dark song, and in some respects it very much is, but I think there is some real beauty in this piece as well. I think there's a diamond in the rough with this piece. Uh, and every time I hear that chorus, I love singing along with it. Yeah. It's just, it's it's well written. That song opinion. is, that song on that, it's that's one that kind of skips, uh, not skips, but... Um, uh, that eludes you it, sometimes. Yes, yeah, it does. Um, but also, it's. Uh, I'm trying to think of that. That whole album, Snakes and Arrows, is a very interesting album because it it's got a. It's got so many different moods and feels in it. And uh, I mean, from the beginning with Far Cry. I mean, Far Cry is just an excellent <laughs> rocker. It's a freaking amazing rocker. And then it goes into like uh, what is it, Armor and Sword, which has that mm -hmm. incredible drum intro and the work in the angels and all that stuff. But then when it gets to like the B side of the album. The B side of the album has never stuck with me as 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 quickly and, and as much as the A side. And so, right. yeah, Bravest Face has always been one that's just been kind of like, yeah, I know it's there, but it hasn't been one of my favorites. So I'm in, that's interesting right. that you chose that song. I have to go listen to it again. Yeah, um, lyrically, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, musically, yeah. it's really fun too. Actually, that that part where uh, where I kind of faded it out, where it starts going into the bass and drums yes. and the guitar, that little break, the little jam session they do for I don't know. 20 seconds or something is yeah. really fun. It's really, really fun. That's really uh, it cool. is. And it is an overlooked song. I think. Yeah, so. I think it is as well as, I mean, I think the whole B side, I mean, there's just a couple, except for like, I don't know, one that stands out to me on, on that, on that B side is, uh, and I think it's on the B side, but hope that's that just that 
yeah. Alex guitar piece, man. Oh my yeah. goodness. That 12 string and everything. Yeah. It's incredible. That's yeah. really cool. That's awesome. For sure. It is a dark right. song, it feels like, but it is. But anyway, for sure. For sure. All right. Number eight for you. Number eight for me is uh, <laughs> very specifically chosen to be in the number eight spot. Not really. I mean, th- this is no one, this is in no particular order. This is coming from 1989's record Presto. This is Scars. Ooh. Yes, sir. Okay. Oh, yeah, now that I'm thinking about it. Thinking Sorry. about it. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go you're ahead. like, oh, that's why he chose it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you already know, and I haven't even gotten into the explanation of it yet. Yes. Okay, so here, like I said, this is coming from Rush's 1989 record, Presto. Um, so as Rush started moving towards the 90s and out of the heavy synths, like Grace Under Pressure and Power Windows, mm-hmm. Niels brings us this, um, which is... It should have been on, it feels like it should have been on one of the earlier tracks. I don't know, it's weird. Um, extremely unique. I mean, it utilizes, so that all of everything in this song, it's utilizing congas, toms, African rhythms. Mm-hmm. So Neil began experimenting with electronic drums and triggers as Rush moved into the 80s. So I chose this song because of the massive amount of creativity expressed in this song. Um, Continuing to make subtle changes throughout the song, like mentioned before, which he did that with losing it. That's why that was on that list. Continuing to make subtle cha- changes throughout the song, he utilizing all of these different sounds, even triggering the snare with the foot pedal. I mean, he, Neil was a rock drummer, but it didn't mean that you're going to hear the intro of Back in Black for every single song. You know what I mean? Right. He, he inspired a lot of musicians with the way that he approached drumming and what you could do. He remained outside of the box, always pushed for new sounds and rhythm, and this is the one of the reasons why Neil had a massive impact on the rock yeah. community. Um, Neil also wrote, um, and Drew, you know this, I mean, Neil, he wrote a few other drum tracks that are similar to Scars, um, utilizing electronic drums to its creative, just in a massively creative way, um, like High Water from Hold Your Fire, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and Mystic Rhythms from Power Windows. Right. Um, so he would create these unique sounding drum rhythms from electronic drum pads and not just a simple, you know, booms, cuts, booms, cuts, not just simple drum beats. Right. Um, and uh, and it's also a little side note. This piece is also popularly heard as the section in Neil's Der Trommler R30 drum solo. Yeah, Fun I was fact. about to say, I, I hear a lot of stuff from his drum solo. Yes, this. that's so. because it's taken and and it's taken directly from this song. Um, and so, and, and if you go and listen to the, I, I highly recommend drummers, um, but also, you know, just Rush fans or any any rock rock fan um, to check out this song because A, it's incredibly unique. You'll never hear another, another Rush song like it and you will probably never hear another song, period, like the drum rhythm and scars. Um, it's so... The, the variation and the way that he uses for the chorus and he plays this alternating right le- right hand left hand thing with the ride bell and um using a, a, a foot pedal to trigger the snare there's just so many elements to it that that makes it that puts it on this list there's so many elements so much creativity that i'm like it, it has to be on the list so that's my number eight scars interesting it's inter- i'm glad you put it as his drumming piece because uh i could be wrong but i think this is actually a getty song lyrically is it really? 
I think it is. I think it is. Interesting. Let me, before I report that, uh, Google. Uh, yeah, let me just Google that super quick. Uh, I'm almost certain that uh, that it is though. Interesting. Um, no, I'm wrong. It's by Neil. It's Neil. I'm okay. totally wrong. Okay. I'm glad All I looked right. it up. Right. I thought I thought there was something about it that 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 made me think it was a Getty song. Maybe it's another Interesting. track off of Presto. Yeah, perhaps it hides on I that album wrong. too sometimes. But it also, it, but to me, it sticks out like a sore thumb. There's just not mm-hmm. it. It's a weird. It's a weird song. I'm glad they included it on Presto because I think in the '80s it would have been a big time. Uh, it, it just wouldn't have fit as as much right. as, it, as much as it did. Um, but the overall sound of Presto is also something that's incredibly unique as well. It's like somebody accidentally hit the low pass filter and was like, whoops, right. I guess we're just going to get a super <laughs> trebly album, but, um, it fits for scars. It's, it's a sweet song. So I, I, I think now that you've opened up the whole, uh, drum solo thing, just super yes. quick of all the ones I've heard of all his drum solos that I've heard throughout the years. Uh, and I haven't heard all of them. There are some live performances I'm sure that I haven't heard, but of the ones I've heard, which is quite a few, my favorite so far is on their, their live album exit stage left when oh, he yeah. breaks down in the middle of YYZ. Oh my gosh. So I think that's his best by far. Anyways, just wanted to put that out there. Um, side note. Side note. Okay. Side note. All right. So um, that's, that's my number eight. You ready for number your number eight? eight? Yeah. If you want to go ahead and play it, I'm going to go ahead and cue it. All right, here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, the tension. Oh, the suspension. What? Okay, here we go. Oh, dang it. Yep, yep. I was like, I was, when you said losing it, it got some overlap. But but I love how you said that lyrically you thought it was great too. Because we're going to go into why right now. I love it. Yes, Um, thank you. this, This one is super personal to me. This is a very personal Rush song lyrically to me. I'm going to get real here on the show. All right, we're, get open, real. we're dissecting Drew. He's about Drew to lose it. Oh, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> this song reflects one of my deepest fears and insecurities, losing talent that you once had. The feeling of loss is a very powerful one, and that goes for, for you know any type of loss, losing loved ones, moving from a familiar place to a different place, you know, uh, yeah. Or losing a treasured item, maybe like an heirloom or a precious gift that someone gave you. But I think this is particularly terrifying for me, and I'm sure to many others as well, because it talks about losing your talents and ambition, which is how I sort of self-identify. Um, hmm. You know, I think a lot of people are like that. I think a lot of people get sucked into their skill. Oh, yeah. That's well, they, how they, they find identify. their identity. Yeah, they find their identity and, and their and, skill. And their ambition as well. In fact... I've, well, I've taken, this is me getting super nerdy here. So like, which house am I in Harry Potter? Right. I have taken it several times. I've actually gotten several different answers, but the most recent one, uh, which was several, still several years ago. It's been a while. I took it several times, but the most recent one I said was Slytherin, which is the bad guys, quote unquote. Nice. But part of the reason they put that, I, I think that I got that is because of how ambitious people in this house of Slytherin are. Uh, there are actually some great wizards that came from Slytherin, and you can actually look into that. I'm getting into Harry Potter now. Anyways. Okay. Um, but the reason I mention that is I, I think people in that house are very ambitious. I'm, a, I'm an ambitious person, and I'm a dreamer. I'm an idealist, like Neil, I think, a lot of times, too. You know, but this talks about losing your talent. And, you know, if I'm not a good bass player, what am I? If I'm not a good editor, what am I? If I'm not a good vocalist, what am I? 
when you're no longer in your prime, you feel weak and you can feel worthless. This is a sad song, but it is so relatable, at least to me. I love the anecdotes mm. of the dancer and the writer. They are written beautifully. They are yes. written, you know, I, I'm going to overuse that term throughout this entire episode is beautiful. That's, that's uh, okay. That's let fine. me look, you know, while you do your next one, I'm going to go to thesaurus.com and look up. <laughs> Shoot. Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. And look up uh, some synonyms for beautiful. Okay, do that. Uh, why don't I do that? I'm going <laughs> to shoot. Don't, yeah, that's just a waste of time. Um, <laughs> but I love the anecdotes of the dancer and 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 the writer. Um, he paints a very vivid picture of those two people, you know, and she limps across. Um, limps across uh, the floor. The floor where the yeah. sun will rise no more. And what does he say? Uh, stained with the. Uh, uh, streaks of, of rage, those tears that are falling down his face because he can't yep. get the right words yep. in in his mind to put to the page. You know yep. that that fear of that writer's block is not just a block, but it's the end. It's this the is not end. just one block or hur- this is not one hurdle. This is the wall that is insurmountable. Yeah, I'm never going to be a good writer again, and yeah. I can't just you know for a lot of ambitious people, you don't just rest on your laurels, right? You keep going, you keep delivering, right? If not for other people, if for yourself, if you can't do that. You know, anyways, uh, yeah. I, I don't see a lot of hope in this song, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. No, it's, in fact, yeah. he says that, you know, in the lyrics, it's sadder still to watch it die than never to have known it. Yep. You know, and that that's a powerful phrase in and of itself, you know, and for you, the blind who once could see the bell tolls for you, for thee. It's like, this is your time that you're done. Right. I, I mean, you know, maybe not with, with life, but with that part of your life that aspect of your life and for some people again that's how they self-identify to them yeah. that is the death of them right I, for an yeah. athlete think about athletes right i mean think about an athlete they yeah thinking that their that, life is over if they get you know their life a, is a over at injury. age what 30 th- maybe three, 30 35 yeah something like right? that. right the age of their 20s is when they're in their prime right and so i'm sure for a small moment after they're done with their athletic career at least in professional sense where they're getting sponsors and millions of dollars and playing on tv that's that's got to be a big deal it's got to and so that's that's the kind of stuff i think about when i listen to this song yeah but i think that's okay i think it's okay to have a sad song sometimes um, of course not everybody I, has yes yeah, everybody feels sad sometimes you know right you know right what, whatever uh, neil was whatever position neil was in when when he wrote the song but yeah right Right. I, I, I find this piece incredibly poignant. I think that is the best term yes, to put to this song. That's great. Poignant. I, but yep. it's lyrically excellent as well. So Yeah. I think uh one of my favorite one of my favorite um rushed lines actually, um, that was at the, at and just during the chorus and it was also it got thrown around a lot uh, at right at Neil's passing, but it was saying, uh, some of us were born to move the world to live their fantasies, but most of us right. don't dream about the things we'd like to be. Right. Um, and, uh, that is, oh, it's, it's so good. It's just yeah. so well written. And, yep. uh, and I think I, I, I may be wrong with this, but, um, and I wanted to ask you this because I've, I've, I've wondered and I, I don't have an answer. I'm actually asking you if you know this answer, but do you think that the very ending, the end line or the last line, uh, the bell tolls for thee, do you think that's a reference to for whom the bell tolls by Ernie Hemingway? Is that is that some uh, sort of reference to that book, or or is it? I don't know with certainty, but it would not shock me just okay. with how read, how well read he was. Yeah, and Ernest um, Hemingway. I mean that that guy doesn't have a really happy life. No, he doesn't. So um, I, I was wondering if that was a reference to him, or if it was a little bit more personal. I'm sure it's more personal know. for Neil, but yeah. I don't anyway. know off the top of my head. 
that's interesting. Anyway, that was that was just a question. I don't know the answer to that. I just wondered if that was uh right, you know, for whom the bell tolls, bell tolls it, for it's, me. I don't it's know. a very good possibility. Yeah. I think. Yeah. That's cool. I love that song, man. I'm glad that we it's both fantastic. included it on the list yeah, because me too. like I like I said, dude, it gets it gets hidden by subdivisions. Yeah. It just does. Like well, a new world man and, and yeah, yeah, which is also amazing as well, but yeah. Um, anyway, that's awesome. That's sweet. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You ready for, ready for my number seven? Dude, your number seven is about to come up. My number seven is about to come right now. Yeah! Oh, shoot! Oh, my Lord. Okay. All right. So, my number seven. <laughs> my number seven. This is the big money. Jumping back to Rush's 1985 record, Power Windows. Um... This song, from a drumming standpoint, is awesome. Um, the song incorporates a lot of different elements that really sum up Neil's drumming approach, um, including the use of percussion, uh, cowbells and such. He used that throughout his entire career for the most part. Right. Um, a mix between electronic and acoustic drums, that's huge. Um, because yeah. later in Neil's career, he had a electronic kit behind him with some electronic triggers placed throughout his acoustic kit, but also um, his full-on acoustic kit. So um, the six, he also had 16th note grooves and fills, quarter note, uh, quarter note kick drum hits with the skipping ride cymbal grooves. The song has a lot of what Neil did. That like who Neil was. That a lot of the, uh, there's a lot in this song that incorporates that. So and that's why this song's on my list. Um, like I said, later in Neil's career, uh, Drew, as you know, and, and a lot of Rush fans know, he had a 360 drum kit with acoustic and electric drums on stage. And, uh, and a lot of Neil's style came from these sounds, um, almost using acoustic hi-hats and kick drums, but then with the toms and sometimes the snare would be electronic, which is, uh, you gotta have money to pull that off. So, right, the big um, money. Big money. Shoot! Yeah. Um, so yeah. So this this can be heard multiple times. This kind of style, this stylistic approach with the with the way that he wrote parts, multiple times on Grace Under Pressure um, in 1984. Songs like Distant Early Warning, uh, The Body Electric did this. Um, Neil also combines these right. elements on other songs like Mission on Hold Your Fire. Yep. Um, and even later in Rush's career, he would throw in some electronic sounds here or there. Songs like Red Tide from Presto. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Even Leave That Thing Alone on Counterparts, that epic drum fill. Um, so he uh, he included a lot of percussion and a lot of electronic sounds, and and they weren't all the same electronic sounds. They they were uh, they fit. They, he he chose these these different parts and different electronic sounds to fit in the songs. But uh, the big money includes it all. It's got acoustic drums. It's got the electric stuff that he throws in there. Uh, fast grooves. He's got the skipping ride cymbal stuff, um, all the big fills, everything, and that's why that's that's why this song is my number seven. It's so good. It's so, so good. good, and the intro of it is strong. That intro yeah. is just strong, dude. Dude, that song's a banger, bro. Dude, it's a banger, dude. Dude, dude it's a banger. Yo, my name's Chad, and uh, my favorite band's Rush because every song they do is a banger. It's a banger. Anchor. We should, we oh, stop! Sh- that is. We need to stop. Yeah, that's. Really Why do we have a podcast? That's really this offensive. Is... Anyway, so yep, that's mine. Fantastic! Isn't it great? It is. 
It's great. Neil was just, he was so creative, man. He was so creative. I love it. Throwing in those little pads and whatnot. So, yeah. all right. Ready for your number seven? I am. All right. You want me to just cue it or you want to announce it? Just, just, just knock it out, man. Just do it. Bust it. Here we go. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, you yeah. knew this would have to be on my list. This somewhere. has to be on there. Uh, no, a big part of why I like this whole album is musically, but lyrically as well, I think it's fantastic. Um, God, so dude. let me say what it actually is. This yes. is Signet's X1, book two. Book this was two. off of their 1978 record, Hemispheres. One of the best. So, um, this is my favorite Rush record. This is hands down whoa, my favorite whoa, Rush whoa, record. Whoa, 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 Can I help, help you? you? <laughs> so, uh, this is the nerdy side of me coming out. I love... High fantasy stuff. I, I, I love Lord of the Rings. I love God of War. I love Dungeons and Dragons. I love mythology and, and lore and stuff like that. I don't get like crazy deep into it uh, like some of my other friends do, but I'm still very fascinated by it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it's one of the most creative pieces Neil has ever written from a story perspective. Mm. Um, it's a part of the, a, a big part of why this is my favorite record is this song, is this big epic. For those of you who don't know, there are four tracks on this. There are there's the big epic. It's about 18 minutes long, uh, and then they have uh, another fairly long record that in or song that ends it at around nine minutes. La Villa Strangiato. Oh my gosh! Uh, and then they have two songs in between. They have Circumstances and The Trees. The Trees is actually a big hit for for Rush. A lot of people know that Huge. song. Huge, but yeah. Um, uh, if you haven't heard this piece, it's an 18-minute epic about two Greek gods, Dionysus and Apollo, fighting over the hearts of humans. So, I don't know how accurate this is to actual Greek mythology as far as I know. It's actually pretty inaccurate. I think he just took some liberties and wanted to use some pre-existing Spend god some creative names. freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because Apollo, I think, was a god of a lot of different things. Um... I'm actually trying to, to remember what this was. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Um, look at that. He's, he's a god of everything. He's recognized as a god of archery, music, dance, truth, and prophecy, healing, diseases, blah, blah, blah. Um, none of that really says that he's the god of reason or wisdom, which is how Neil portrays him in this piece. Um, I'll go ahead and give uh, – and Dionysus – Sorry, I'm going to interrupt myself. Dionysus yeah. was also uh, not the god of necessarily love and feelings, but they attribute Dionysus to being a, an entity that dealt with wine, which was a huge part of, of Greek life um, in the ancient days. So uh, I think he just took some liberties with it, but I still think it's great. I think it's fantastic. I'll go ahead and lay out the, the basic story of of this piece apollo was the god of reason and wisdom trying to convince humans to use their intellect to make the world better for themselves and for others dionysus was fighting over the affections for for the hearts of, of humanity um as the god of love and the god of feelings and emotions trying to convince humans to use their emotions to in order to enjoy life right you've got all these great things that apollo has given you but wouldn't it be so much better to enjoy life rather than just to like build it without any purpose, right? Here's what life is really about. It's about just emotions and feelings. Well, they start pulling humans apart from each other, right? Uh, Apollo wants the, you know, their hearts and so does Dionysus. So a war breaks out over who they can get to serve them, right? Uh, to follow one of the two gods, there's chaos and despair everywhere. Then a space traveler comes in uh, out of a black hole called Cygnus X-1, which you hear off of their 1977 record, A Farewell to Kings. 
Um, the traveler is a disembodied spirit watching all this conflict happen. He's kind of in this ethereal space and they give musically, they give that, uh, that feel, this etheric feel, um, uh, that he's in maybe the spirit world or something. He's caught between dimensions and in between these dimensions, he can see the gods fighting over the hearts of men. Um, wow. and he sees this and he shrieks out against this, uh, this shriek causes the gods to rethink their conflict. Then the gods make him Cygnus, the god of balance, in order to unite the heart and mind together. So I think it's an incredibly so cool. creative piece. It is creative. And uh, I don't know if he took it from a piece of literature or or a, a folklore or a story of the gods back from ancient Greece or maybe another um, uh, religion or you know spiritual study or anything like that. But yeah. it's an incredibly creative piece and i think i like this song so much because it also discusses a life philosophy that i hold near and dear which is balance i think that balance is key to most everything most definitely and yeah. i love this creative story behind it and how he was able to portray that uh to put it to rock music that's very complicated and with only three musicians playing it is also incredible yeah um, that's that's something that kind of comes up it's uh because it's greek mythology right Yes, that it's kind of, kind of, yeah. And then, I mean, I know that Neil's done that. He's done it in a couple of other. I mean, he he never shied away from any of the, any of that kind of stuff. I know. I mean, I know right. that like Everyday Glory and like Fountain of Lamneth. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of other ones that he like uh, carve away the stone, like all that kind of stuff is um, Greek mythology um, mm-hmm. related. And so, yeah, that's that's really really interesting. Yeah. And and in Neil fashion, the end reflects his idealistic nature with saying, let the truth of love be lighted, let the love of truth shine clear, sensibility armed with sense and liberty with the heart and mind united in a single perfect sphere. So great way to end that whole story. That's really cool. But it's super nerdy, but it's so cool. It is. It so is. Cool. It is. Like, it's, it's just, so awesome. and it's also just a freaking epic song too. Yeah. Just, musically, it's phenomenal. Musically, too. it's ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, the lyrics of that are always, and you know, back in Getty's, uh, Getty's screech, screech phase. Oh, but see, but I still love it. It fits. It fits it. it though. It fits it. Like it fits it like does. that it's kind so of good. Yeah, that that story. That's sweet. Love it. Thank oh, you. Man. Gosh. All right. Here you go. Here is we moving on to my number six. We're moving on to you. All right. Here we go. Here is my number six, and uh, this is this is probably no surprise. You'll probably know exactly what this is. This comes from. 1976. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is, uh, obviously, this song's from Rush's big record in 1976, 2112. This is 2112. Um, And Neil had a, what is it, 40-plus year drumming career. And so obvious, obviously his drumming changed over the years because of the types of songs that they were writing and the equipment that they were using. But specifically in the 70s, though, there were a lot of incredible drum performances. I mean, I mean Drew, when I was going through the stuff in the 70s, it was just so difficult to pick out, like, which ones do I want to do? Because I can't just, I can make a top 10 list of just the 70s. Oh, yeah. You know, Easy. I could make easily make a top 10. I mean, there were some and just an, a, amazing drum performances. Stuff like uh, Cygnus X1, 
Cygnus X1 Book 2, Xanadu, Fountain of Lamneth, Bytar and the Snow Dog. But I think to sum up a lot of what really encapsulate the sheer stamina and the power of Neil puts 2112 on my list. Oh, for sure. And other epics oh. like Cygnus X1 Book 2, right? right. I believe are, are more complicated technically, but right. 2112 just completely shows off the guy's strength. Oh, yeah. I mean, the drums, they smack you in the face. And oh. and if you know the story behind the album, if you don't, go check out our very first episode, which we did 2112. But it's a protest album. And so there's, just, there's a certain anger and attack yeah. to the song and the drums. Yeah. And um, and it's it's been said that Neil uh, Neil's hero was with Keith Moon, and mm -hmm. uh, what I believe separated Neil from his hero was his continual flamboyant style, but expanded the technical and imaginative possibilities, lending him the professor, lending him that nickname, the professor, and right. and the reason why is because we all learn from the dude. And so just the sheer stamina, the power that this guy, like I said, he's the third leg to the tripod. He falls, the whole band's done. And he held it up and he drove it home being in a rock band so well. And that's why 2112 is on this list. Well put. Well put, Destin. Thank you very much. Thank you. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's an angry album. Uh, Vocally, and, yeah, it's, it's... Yeah, and the drums are very, very bombastic. They're very. huge in that record. They're in your yeah. face. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, that really reflects their, their attitude at the time. So, yeah. Awesome. Definitely. So, yeah, combining, uh, you know, all of the elements that we've discussed before with, you know, just the, the acoustic, electric drums, the slight variation. This, this one shows off his power, the strength and the drive and the force behind his playing. Um, twenty one twelve, man, awesome record, awesome song. It is fantastic, so, awesome. Moving on to number six for Drew. That's me. That's you. Wow, that's, that's me. Awful. All right, here we go. Number six. You want me to cue it? Yeah. All right, I'm ready for this. Oh man, I'm so excited. I, we're getting down to like the lower numbers, and I'm like, oh, dude, man, I know, I know. Yeah. All right, here we go. Number six. Yes. Yeah, I knew. Thank you. I knew you would want this on here. That's not why I put it on here. But I know we were discussing how we were going to, like, in the episode and everything. I was a little hesitant because I was like, oh, this is, is going to be on here. This is already going to be on is here. Is that going to be? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, we're freaking out over something that you may not have ever heard before. This is a, a, a song taken from their 1980 record, Permanent Waves. This song is called Entre New. French so phrase. So good. Um there are so many good lyrics from Permanent Waves. So many. Definitely. But this is the song that sticks out the most to me in a lyrical sense. It's a beautiful piece on how humans relate to one another. He uses some fantastic metaphors to describe humans, like ships, they are islands, they are novels to each other. Yep. And how they interact with and view each other. Um, the <laughs> chorus is also... Uh, this is uh, great, great imagery. It is. Uh, the chorus is, is also sublime and a good lesson to remember. I'll go ahead and say it again. Just between us, I think it's time for us to recognize the differences we sometimes fear to show. Just between us, I think it's time for us to realize the spaces in between leave room for you and I to grow. I love that phrase. Love it. It's time yeah. for us to realize the spaces in between leave room for you and I you to and grow. You and I to grow. I think it can apply to physical space. 
not being able to see someone for a while gives you time to grow and think on your own. Yeah. But I think it can also pertain to the differences we sometimes fear to show, as it says in the song as well. Yeah. Um, uh, hold on. Sorry. I totally messed that up. I'm reading, and I don't double space, which is why I'm in this predicament right now. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, <laughs> everyone, for having tremendous grace under pressure. God but dang it. I know. I hate, I hate myself. I mean, All I'm right. just grooving to the song, so I'm good. Oh, I'm not listening to you, so I'm fine. Yeah, I'm um, fine. Uh, it can mean a physical space, but it can also mean a metaphorical gap, a disconnect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like an emotional disconnect. Right. Or an ideological one. Yeah. Certain issues that separate people are not necessarily always bad, right? Those differences can lead to a newer understanding to people on both sides. Um, you know, unfortunately that doesn't always happen. Unfortunately, people don't gain that newer understanding, but Mm. that's how I interpret it. I, I think that these these differences we sometimes fear to show it it, that difference that contrast will hopefully lead to a more open-minded community one that is more mm, understanding i guess Hmm. is the way okay to do it um i i i just think that this song has so many different elements to it and universal um concepts of how how humans relate to one another and how that can affect the world so such an interesting contrast between what we just had on the list and this song i mean think about that like we we just had this greek mythology very you know uh, imaginative expressive form of intellect and and this song is is about the 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 relationships between people Right, and, and it's uh, just very grounded, and it's very grounded, yeah. And uh, and I love love Neil for for that reason, lyrically for for me personally. Um, the right. dude, the dude didn't just write a bunch of sci fi novels, um, but the guy right. also didn't write a bunch of love sappy, like a you know a bunch of sappy love songs. Right, um, it's very, very diverse, very diverse, very creative. Love and it, an eclectic writer. Yeah, yeah, for sure, love it. That's great. Such a good song. Dang. Okay. Uh, All right, you ready for my yeah. number five? I'm ready for it. All right, here's my number five. Um, I'm just going to go straight into this. This song needs no introduction. Hey, everybody, Destin here, and we love creating these episodes, and we would love to continue creating them completely ad-free. To help make that happen, we have a Patreon of actual services and content that you may be interested in, way better than us advertising Squarespace every episode, right? Well, to see for yourself, visit patreon.com slash prognotes. Is it expensive? No, it's as low as one cup of coffee a month to receive extra benefits of the show, like early access to our material, a VIP chat community full of prog rock fans, and video episodes. And the link of this is in the description. Now, back to the episode. Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm. I'm so glad it's on there. Okay. Okay. This is this is once again back at the 1982 record signals. This is the massive hit subdivisions. Um, and why this song is on my list is because of the craft. That is the single yes. word of uh, to, to sum up so Neil. To sum up Neil and, and then sum up this song. The incredible craft of the drums. 
Um, that word doesn't get thrown around in rock music very often, um, but that's exactly who Neil was. Um, he was disciplined, and he crafted entire drum tracks to fit the songs rather than raw abandon. Um, right. Subdivisions truly shows this. I mean, he starts the verse off with a humble backbeat and switches every verse. It doesn't sound lopsided though, which is one thing that I love, but there's, and there's space in the music to make it work. You know, smashing the simple, and it, you know, going to smashing just a simple six, four groove in the beginning of the chorus, and then switches to the great Neil Peart ride groove. Um, or I believe I recall Neil titling it the Latin ride groove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, huge staple in his in, yep. of his drumming. Yeah. Yes, yes. On that ride bell, and he would go between the bell and the, um, you know, and, and just the, the ride symbol itself, um, which would come up in songs like La Villa Strangiato, Spirit of the Radio, Between the Wheels, Far Cry, Neurotica, YYZ, Hemispheres, Cold Fire, etc., etc. Um, it gives the songs such a driving force. I mean, it, the, the, the rhythm works so well, and it's incredibly, it, it's incredible the tempos he plays it at. That's, it's, it's a kind of, it's based off of a paradiddle, but it's just incredible the tempos that the guy plays it at. Um, also included his offbeat ride cymbal rhythm he played a lot, like um, in that section in the camera eye. Um, he also, at the very beginning of Animate, Yes. You know, he has that offbeat ride cymbal bell thing. Um, there's a lot. So there's a lot of things that uh, that Neil did in, in his uh, in his drumming arsenal or his repertoire that he included in subdivisions, as well as just crafting the song so well around uh, the changes in the music, as well as keeping it interesting throughout the entire song. In short, Neil carefully constructed and crafted his drum parts to keep the trio entertaining. And his discipline as a drummer inspired so many drummers around the world. It used to be this just bombastic, ferocious, beastly material um, that turned in. And what Neil did is take that beast and tame it and discipline it to make it this well-constructed um, drum track that fit all of the music that Rush created. And, yeah. that, and that is why Subdivision is on this list. I like that you say tamed it, not transformed it. Yes. Because it's still there. It's still it's still rock. It's still it a rock. It still has song. that essence of rock to it. Yes. But it, so it has the capacity to be in your face and be ferocious. But it's hundred percent. Yes. So fantastic. 100%. I like that metaphor. Or yes. I like that that terminology. Right? Thank you. Yeah. And uh, and it's everybody and their mother has made a drum cover of this song on YouTube, including myself. So yeah. you can go check that out on YouTube, and you can just nice. see all kinds of different people playing this song because it's 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 fun to watch. It's fun to play. And what's so great about Neil is that he did it perfect every time, every concert with subdivisions yeah. and people loved it. So that's why it's, it's on fantastic. there. Fantastic. So, yeah. All right, man. Um, do you want to, do you want to listen to uh, your little excerpt on Neil? Um, I have uh, it, I have it pulled up here. Do you want to pull up number we five? Do it after this one? We'll okay. do it. We'll do it after, okay. after this. Sure. Sure. All right. Number yeah. five. Oh, here we go. All right. I'm super pumped. Here we go. Oh yes. yes. This is uh this is off their nineteen eighty five record, Power Windows. The song is called Mystic Rhythms. Mystic my Rhythms. number five. Yes. Uh here's what I wrote down. Oh man, I love this one. <laughs> it's so good. This one highlights Yeah, this one highlights Neil's admiration for nature. 
and he does it so well. This Dang. song, this whole song just has this amazing sense of wonder. I think that's the best word that I, love I that. can attack this. Love that. Yep. It makes me think of looking up at the stars, like it says in the song, or the Aurora Borealis, right? These northern lights or something. That's what comes to my mind when I listen to this. Um, right? Because they mention it in the song, Under Northern yep. Lights. Yep. It's and, and a reminder. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say the, the, the sense in the song portray that so well. The wonder yes. and the mystical. Yeah, it's yes, incredible. for sure. But his, his rhythm as well. Yes. His rhythm yes. is this kind of tribal it's 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 very yeah it's very tribal it's very yep yeah that's just that's what word that comes to mind yeah tribal um, is good i like that yeah it's it's a reminder of how much majesty the world has um it's it's a reminder that that there's more outside of ourselves and it's a reminder that we are powerless compared to the forces of nature it's yeah. a humbling piece. The more we think we know about, the greater the unknown. That's one of the lyrics. Wow. Um, it's a beautiful song that always fills me with wonder, and, and it puts me in a very different headspace that very few other songs do, right? I, it's on par with Dark Side of the Moon. Dark Side of the Moon is almost like this ritual for me. Mystic's Rhythms is not very different from that. It, it, yeah. it puts me, it's, it's almost as ritualistic. Like, if I'm going to listen to Mystic Rhythms, it's going to be like the lights are out, I'm gonna, you know, like yeah. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna listen to this and really experience this piece because it's so big. It has so much atmosphere to it. It does. Um, and the lyrics are beautiful in this. I just want to say one of the lyrics in the chorus: "Nature seems to spin a supernatural way." Yeah. What a fantastic phrase that That's is. So cool, dude. Uh, uh, primitive things stir the hearts, hearts of and everyone. And everyone, yeah. So. Yeah, and like I said before, the drums also reflect the lyrics in this pretty well. Yeah, lyrically, it's it's one of my favorites. Too. It's, it, it's is it is it beautiful? It is. Thank is, you. Is it thank beautiful? You. I was actually going to say this time awe inspiring, but yes, it is beautiful <laughs> as well. Thank you for calling me on that. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, is it beautiful, yeah. Drew? It is. <sighs> is it frosh? Yeah, it's frosh. <laughs> so, I also uh, just was able to extract a little excerpt from an interview he did, I believe in 2015, maybe right yeah. before they started their R40 tour. Uh, it was a Sirius XM interview. Um, and uh, yeah, this is right before their R40 tour, which was their last tour, mm. uh, which makes sense. I just want to say it makes sense because he was diagnosed with brain cancer, which is what he succumbed to Yeah, uh, about three and a half years ago, I think, yep. which is pretty close. I think, you know, they started in 2015, but I don't think the tour ended uh, until 2016 though, probably I could be wrong, but you know, usually those tours last a while, which makes sense. They probably, you know, had some, some time to, uh, you know, they, they may have thought about doing a different record. They may have thought about doing some more tours possibly after that, maybe not. Uh, but definitely when he got this news, there definitely had to be the sense of, okay, no, the last three years are going to be spent you know, with my family, peace, with my, with my family, my yeah. loved ones, you know, being able to experience nature fully and, and holy all of that. So it makes sense that they didn't do another tour after R40, right? Yeah. They got this news or he got this news and, yeah. and was probably like, no, I'm not guys, I'm not doing another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And before that, even, even besides the, the cancer, 
besides that, there were other health issues as well. I think uh, there was some issue with his feet. There was some, he was having some joint arthritis with his feet. Arthritis. Yeah, he had some intense yeah. arthritis. Yeah, so a lot of rockers, the same so, thing. Yeah, Alex does too, which they, they succumb to, which makes sense. I mean, you know, you're, you're straining those muscles for so long, night after night, year after year, record after record. Yeah. So anyways, uh, yeah. I just wanted to say that made sense. But anyways, this is probably one of the last, you know, public interviews that he did right wow. before he passed away. Gosh. Uh, I'm not going to say the last one, but, but one of the last, because he doesn't do very many to begin with. He doesn't. Yeah. He's, He's an introverted very private, guy. He's a very private individual. Uh, but this is great because when you get him talking, right, I, I hear, oh, when you're introverted, you're not going to talk a lot. Well, that's not true. No, that's not, not true. That's, that, that's what no. I naturally associate it. But it, it, with any introvert, I think that you talk to, if you talk to them about something they enjoy, I mean, this goes for extroverts too. It's just with people in general. You talk to them about something they enjoy, they will not shut the hell up, which is great. <laughs> it is awesome to hear why people are so passionate about something and, and their thoughts on something. And when Neil talks about, you know, his craft and everything, he's, he talks a lot, man. And it's great. It's cool to, to get that, that side of him. So anyways, we can go ahead and play. Yeah. His kinda, I'm excited. I haven't he heard this about writing. Yeah. I haven't heard this. Here we go. There's one, there's, there's a moment in, in writing lyrics that I always find, not when I finish, but there's, I've struggled with it for days and it doesn't seem like it's going to work and I'm ready to abandon it, abandon songwriting forever. I should never have done this. I can't do it. And then so, something turns around and a light goes off and all I think is it's going to work. Mm. And there might be another day's work there. And the same thing when a song, when, when Getty fastens onto those few lines and, uh, and it's going to work, then I'm already inspired. So I'm more than happy. Um, to go back and and do the necessary craft work to uh, to make that happen. So and then there's infinite refinement going back and forth. And Getty, as a singer, of course, has to feel comfortable with the words, not necessarily in their meaning only, but in the way they deliver as music. Right. Sure. The, uh, that's a lesson I had to learn that things that looked good on the page and sounded good spoken in my head weren't necessarily that great to sing. And I've learned more about that over time and still continue to learn. And when Getty tells me that online is great to sing, then I learned to model after those combinations of beats, right? Uh, uh, words are rhythm to me, and especially in lyrics, that's why I think I gravitated toward it, because I'd always loved words and reading, but it was a chance to rhythmically phrase those words. And that's the way it, they always drop into my head as rhythms. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. That's Isn't incredible. It? Like th Isn't that it? that kind of approach is so incredibly unique. Why? Because he's the freaking drummer and most of the drummers yeah. don't write the lyrics. Right. Right. Uh no, I think it was an interesting approach and I think it's really cool that he has that humility of, of oh my gosh, collaborating yes. Yes. with his his with his, his bandmates. Uh, with his bandmates and being yeah. like, Hey, does this work? And Getty's like, mm, Can you this sing might not this? Work. Right. This work? Getty might say, This might not work. Can we touch this up? You know, and everything and he was totally willing to do that, and he just wanted the best possible product and be able to convey the messages the best that he could. And uh, it, you know, it takes someone outside of yourself sometimes to do a little editing to see that this might not work. And and that's again, I've mentioned I think before in this this show that uh, that's one thing I really love about bands is that there's this very collaborative essence about yep. a band, or I or that there should be. I think yes, it's really great to hear the unique voices of each individual member and be able to feel their contributions in the music. And with Rush, you can undeniably feel each and every single one of their contributions. So, Are none. Uh, granted, granted, that's easier to do with a smaller group than a larger one, but still, um, 
it's hard, it's hard it's hard to be in a creative group for the same three guys or the same other right. two other guys for 40 years it is i mean yeah, yeah. people you know I'm, I'm not saying that it's 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 impossible to do that but you know they out they they lasted longer than a bunch of other trios and a ton of i mean first one that comes to my mind is the police um EL right you know they they right. these guys broke up because why uh probably probably pride probably some right. ego yeah and, uh, well a lot of bands a lot of bands ton of them ton of them yeah a ton of trios i was specifically talking trios but yes a ton of bands were in that same kind of boat um yeah. and uh it, it requires that's one of the most i believe the one of the most um not sought after uh, that's not the word i'm thinking of but the one of the most valuable traits as a musician is humility and mm-hmm. humility as a musician a humility as a band member um but thinking that you're accomplishing and writing something that's bigger than just what you can provide because you can't right. do it on your own and you need the other guys in the band to bring what they can bring because that reaches your limitation you know it's it's understanding right. your limits and and being able to work based off of all of your limitations and right. just as that's incredible man that's incredible from from his perspective because i mean you know the dude i mean the dude's inducted it as one of the best drummers of all time you know, he wrote all the lyrics. That was something new. He did it for 40 years. The guy had every right to have an ego. You know, right. had every yeah. right to have an ego and to think that he's the ish. But right. That's incredible. I'm glad you brought that into the, into the yeah. Episode. Yeah. I thought it was really, really cool. That's great. That's um, great. What a well, great, what a great way to talk about. Yeah. That's, that's a great, oh. I'm glad we included that in the episode. Just, oh, for sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I guess we can move on to your number four, right? right my number four, yeah. Okay, you ready for this? You're not gonna. Uh, you're not going to. I, I, this is gonna. This is gonna be a shocker to you. I. I it is. I think it's okay. gonna be a shocker to you. As the number four spot. Okay. As the number four spot, I think this is gonna be somewhat of a shock to you. But okay, this all is, right, all right. here we go. This is coming from 1984. Grace under pressure. This is red lenses. Yeah. Okay, so again, not one of those songs that I would that would think of when I'm like, oh yeah, Rush, Red Lenses. No, that, yeah, that doesn't no. happen. Um, but like I said before, <laughs> this song comes from their 1984 record, Grace Under Pressure. Here's the reason why this song's on my list is is for a few reasons, but one of the main reasons is because of how Neil uses the electric kit to its full potential, um, throwing in cowbells, hi hats. Uh, Neil, once again, constructs these incredibly unique rhythms, and the verses breathe a bit with a more straightforward rhythm, but that chorus is this extravaganza of almost random sounds coming at you until it repeats, and when something repeats, it becomes a rhythm. Right. You know, it becomes this eccentric pattern, and uh, right in this area. Just what on earth? Um, and, and so Neil, Neil's done stuff like this in a more acoustic fashion, like uh, right. during the verses of the main monkey business. But um, I like this song because of the role that the drums play in it. Um, it's almost a Neil highlight, which, which has happened a, a lot throughout the career, throughout his career and Rush's career. Um, he stands out much more in this song. And uh, another reason why I added this song to my list is because of this um, he does this thing. He does these drum fills that encapsulate drill, Neil so well. 
that right there, that little drum fill. He does this like this two E crash hit. Like he does this yeah. crash hit, and uh, he would land those crashes of the fills on the sixteenth note after the backbeat, and that's such a Neil thing. That's such a Neil thing to do. Um, right. And uh, not only being a, a really eccentric song, which I love that about Rush in general, but also Neil. He's you know he's he's an eccentric guy, an eccentric drummer, and, and some of the lyrics were that way as well. Um, the bridge and the ending of the song is almost funky and groovy. So I think just with all of that, the the eccentric side of him, as well as the, ult, you know, way more creativity, but also using the electric kit to its full capacity as well. Um, not just com combining acoustic and electric like, um, you know, like the big money did. Um, Red Lenses really helps sum up Neil as a drummer pretty well, I believe. So that's why that's that's why it sits number four. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. I think it gets overlooked as a, as a drum track sometimes, but uh, yeah. there's not a whole lot of live performances of him playing it. And uh, it's a That's weird, true. it's a weird song. Um, but I think it shows off a lot of uh, what Neil could do and, uh, and different, and different sides to him all in one song. So right. yeah, it's a cool song for sure. Okay, Drew, so what is your number four? Uh, my number four is, well, I like it when you play it. I, I like it when I you play, play it. it. Okay, fine. I'll, let's, I'll just do that. Do <laughs> here we go. Here we go. All right, here we go. Number four. Here we go. Oh, I'm super pumped. Here we go. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, it's a great piece. I don't believe this destiny. Yeah. Oh, what yeah. a great album. This is uh, this is off of their 1991 record, Roll the Bones. This is my number four, which is Ghost of a Chance. Ghost of a Chance, yeah. This is another just absolutely beautiful piece. Um, <laughs> another another poignant piece as well, kind of like losing it. The music helps reflect the beauty for sure, um, the majesty of the song. The lyrics talk about not having belief in any otherworldly ideas, entities, or philosophies. Right. Uh, but then it says, but I believe there's a ghost of a chance we can find someone to love and make it last. That phrase combined with the wailing guitar, it, it, it it's just mesmerizing. It's just mesmerizing. Yeah. And the, the phrase alone, ghost of a chance, is just, it, it's incredibly creative, very elegant, and very profound in and of itself. But it carries yeah. so much more weight when it is preceded by a bunch of well kind of cynicism before it <laughs> yeah this these these phrases of disbelief i don't believe in destiny i don't believe in the guiding hand of fate i don't believe in forever i don't believe in love as a mystical state yep but you know i, I think it's this is an unconventional song uh but i think it's still a very powerful one uh, an incredibly powerful one um because to me I can see people slow dancing to this, as weird as that sounds. To the uh, lyrics? Musically. Music. To, well, to both. Yeah. And that's what's weird. Because, again, like, the music alone just kind of feels like a slow dance during the chorus, right? It's very ambient, and yeah. the rhythm's a bit slower than the rest of, like, the song. You know, the, the verses are a bit more fast-paced. It seems like they carry at least more energy. And this 
is very slow, but you listen to lyrics and it feels like, okay, maybe at first glance, this feels like lyrics that you wouldn't want to slow dance to, right? Like, I don't believe in love as a mystical state. And it's like, well, we're slow dancing. We're in love. We're holding each other. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, why right. would you say that? Love is supposed <laughs> to be mystical and beautiful. And I don't believe in forever. What? How can you not believe in, you know, yeah, you know, forever or, um, or destiny, you know, all that stuff, which is a lot of those concepts, those eternal concepts a lot of people love to connect with uh romance with love yes but i love that phrase it's this person who is just laying it all out there that's what i don't believe i don't believe this but they 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 show their i don't know if i want to say vulnerability but their belief in something other than themselves or other than the physical world by saying there's a ghost of a chance that i can find someone to love and make it last yeah, I, I I think that's absolutely just just powerful. It's just it's it's a great phrase, and the music behind it is also just so. The music is I don't incredible. Say languid, but yeah, <laughs> I, I I love I love Ghost of a Chance. That's a great. Um, it's a great song. Have you have you yeah. heard of the uh, of the Roll the Bones radio special? Have you heard it? Me? Yes. Roll the Bones radio special? Yeah, have you heard that? No. No, there's no. No, yeah. So like um I don't know when they did this. I don't know what year whatever, but there's there is this you could go look it up online. I just I literally just pulled up one of the quotes from Neil talking about Ghost of a Chance. You want me to read it? Yes, please. It, yeah, it's from a it's from the Ro- Roll the Bones radio special. Um I can't believe you've never heard that before. I I, I don't know where, no. it, where it is. I don't know where it is or how you can find it. I don't remember I don't even remember where I've heard it. Um I just know that it's a thing. And but here's a quote, Neil. This is Neil talking about um, like a paragraph on him talking about uh, Ghost of a Chance. Here's here's. Oh, I see this right now. Okay, I'm following along with you. I think. All right. Where? I've always shied away from love songs. Is that what he's saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you find it on the Rush website? Uh, I found it on Song Facts. Oh, you did? (laughs) Okay. Either way. And it's Go ahead. always shied away from love. Okay, yeah, here's here's what he says. So I've always shied away from love songs and even mentioning the word in songs because it's so much cliche. And until I thought that I found a new way to approach it or a new nuance of it to express, I was not going to write one of those kind of songs. Ghost of a Chance, which I love that. It's just like, I don't want to write what everybody else is writing. Um, Ghost of a Chance fit right in with my overall theme of randomness and contingency and so on. But at the same time, it was a chance for me to write about love in a different way of saying, here are all these things that we go through go through in life and the people we meet, and it's all by chance. And the corners we turn and the places we go and the people we meet there. All of those things are so random, and yet through all of, the, all of that, people do meet each other. And if they work at it, they can make that encounter last. So I'm saying there's a ghost of a chance it can happen. And the odds are pretty much against it, but at the same time, that ghost of a chance sometimes does come through, and people do find each other and stay together. Yeah, you know. Well, the the whole song he does a really, it's just a very nuanced. That's that's the nuanced word I was way a a brilliant way a brilliant way of expressing chance throughout that whole record. The lyrics on "Roll the Bones." I I. I don't think I think I told you this this one thing before we did this episode is that I think Roll the Bones might be the most consistently great lyrics uh huh. record wise. I think it might be his best lyrics from a consistent best standpoint. Lyrically. Yeah. Every every song in there there's a lot of weight and power to the lyrics in in each one of those songs on Roll the Bones. That's I think awful. it might be their best record lyrically. Yeah. overall. So That's great. Yeah. I also I I know that um 
and and people get thrown this around and and there's stuff of you know when i listen to uh some of the songs off of snakes and arrows like uh specifically faithless and stuff like that you know he gives off that uh and even with uh like clockwork angels and and some of the stuff off of that record um a uh atheistic sort of mm-hmm. approach to writing and um i've uh, in one of the books specifically i i've seen this but so i can confirm that what i'm saying is is true from neil um but neil doesn't say that he's an atheist um neil, right, neil right. claims neil claims to be a linear thinking agnostic and uh, right. this song sums that up he's not saying that he there's a chance and and if there you know and what he and atheists think that you know nothing created everything and agnostics have a different point of view of course there's there's different types of all of that um but neil the way that neil writes this song showed me that it was like this guy has a sense of there's a possibility if that makes sense you know what i mean yeah 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 no for sure agnostic sort of sort of writing i think he believed in something outside of himself i mean he was an idealist you can't be an idealist without thinking of something outside of yourself or you know thinking of, of some, and he loved nature. I think that's a big thing too. He, yep. he knew the raw power of nature in and of itself. And not that atheists can't think that either. No. Yeah. But, uh, but usually they, they, as far as I know, don't really tend to veer towards any type of real spiritualism. And I don't think that uh, I remember on that same interview, he talked about it, but I, I don't think he's, like spiritual and in the sense that a lot of people think, um, but he believes in something outside of just, I think a physical realm. Yes. And that's, and that, and maybe I'm totally wrong. If I'm not, I don't mean to do any dishonor of him, especially because this whole episode is meant to honor him. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, no one knows what he thought except himself entirely. So, yeah. But a lot of it um, did come out in his lyrics. I mean, he, he definitely wrote about a, a lot of, after no, no, I wouldn't say afterlife. Would you agree with that? I don't know if I should use that word. If he wrote no, a lot about, I don't afterlife. think so. I don't think it was afterlife. Per no, se. it was it was more so just um, yeah, just outside of himself, like the the mm-hmm. world outside of himself, and and all of that. So yeah, Ghost of a Chance, though, right. brilliantly written. I love it. Yeah, musically, it's a fantastic song. All right, all right, you're number three. I'm Here ready. We Here we go. Number three, number three. I'm just gonna kick it right in. Here we go. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. This is this is uh this was unexpected. This was unexpected. I did not think <laughs> that this was gonna happen. But I have three songs off of signals in my top <laughs> ten list. I have three songs in my top ten list from signals. This is once again from their 1982 record. Signals, this is digital man. Um love it and and i should go ahead and make a massive i should go ahead and give a huge head nod to signals as a drumming album it's genius um (laughs) if you're a drummer if you're a drummer you gotta i mean obviously check out moving pictures but the one after signals dude the drums on every single song are Incredible. It's probably excluding Countdown. Um, but every, <laughs> song, every song 
is incredible. Uh, subdivisions, the analog kit, chemistry is really, really cool and well-crafted as well. Once again, craft, that word just really sticks out in that whole album. The weapon, extremely unique. Um, oh, yeah. Digital man, new world man, all of that. Really, really cool drum parts all across that record. So I was very surprised. I didn't think that it was going to happen, but this song has to go on the list. Um, nice. So getting into the, the, the song itself, triplets and triplet fills and grooves were a part of Neil's repertoire, um, but not to the capacity and creativity as Digital Man. Um, you know, and, and the thing that blows my mind listening to it is the precision in this song. Um, the fills are tremendously creative and, and the simplicity during the solo is, is, is humbling. The flaming and the triplet fills throughout the song are, well, for one, extremely difficult, but even the beginning drum fill has YouTube tutorials on it. So it, the slight variations in the choruses are subtle, yeah. effective. He builds the bridge with this ease and again, precision. And what I enjoy a lot about or what I enjoy a lot is that they're they aren't these awesome tom rolls as as people kind of signify Neil with um you know that kind of stuff but right. Neil was incorporated other pieces of the kit like the snare and the cowbells in a very intricate and sort of swingy swing pattern sort of way um yeah and uh, really unique really unique another another trick on the song um is uh and and that he used a lot in um especially the 80s he did this a lot another trick and a part of kind of his uh a drumming cork or um whatever whatever you want to use tool drumming tool that he used um is instead of hitting the kick drum with the crash after a fill he would throw in the snare on it as well so a lot of the time when you're playing a, a drum fill you know you start maybe you you know, let's talk with just a simple drum fill, you know, and then you would hit the, you know, the kick drum with the big old crash, right? Right. Well, what Neil would do is he would throw the snare on that crash, which would give this crash, but also slapping crack effect. And it, yeah. it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Like when I was thinking about this as a drummer, I'm like, oh my gosh, that adds so much energy to just smack out of that fill. Oh yeah, and, uh, and I never noticed it until I really started studying some of the stuff, and uh, and I was right. like, that's going in my drum repertoire. That's got to be something I use in the future because it adds this, more, it just adds more power, more strength to the ending of a big tom fill or whatever it is. And so uh, he includes it on this song, brilliantly done. And another thing, another reason why it's on the list is because you will not hear anything like this song anywhere else. And it's so good. And that's and that's why it's on my list. The, the rhythm, you will never hear that rhythm. It, it just I don't think, I don't think that you will hear something as similar to the rhythm that he constructed and all of the crazy unique fills. It's an incredibly unique drumming track, and that's why it's on my list. Massively created, superbly executed, and it's fun to listen to and play if you're a drummer. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. I'm just realizing this is the top three now. I know. We're top, in the top three. We're in the top three. Oh, man. It's in the top three. So anyway, Digital Man, my number three. Nice. Drew, are you ready Excellent for number three? Choice. Yeah, sure. You can kick it off. It's going to hit you in the face. Oh, here we go. Oh, dude. Hold on. It's going to hit me in the face. What do I think? Dude, I honestly, I have no idea what to expect. That's the thing that I'm really excited. I know. I'm so stoked. I have, I'm so, I no so excited. 
what to expect because since these are all personal, I'm like, I know yeah. what I would like, but I have no idea what you're putting on here. Okay, I'm gonna stop talking. Right. Here's number three. <laughs> oh! Yes. Oh, yeah. Dude, I didn't think anything from this record was gonna come up. No, this song has always stuck out to me. Oh, lyrically. so, oh man. So, so uh, this is a heavy record. This is this Dude. song is is BU2B, which stands for Brought Up to Believe, off of their 2012 record or 2012 record, Clockwork Angels. Yeah. So uh, this was the last original studio record that they produced um, as a band. Um, this song is interesting because if it weren't Rush, I might not like it. It might be too heavy for me. Huh. This whole record might be too heavy for me in some respect. Well, primarily Maybe just this song. Echo? Primarily this song. Well, Test for Echo is tamed in some ways. It's not too much for me. But uh, there are other reasons I don't like that record. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But but this song is very heavy, and usually I don't like crazy heavy stuff. Um, see also our Tool episode. Um, hey, yep. But <laughs> yep. But because it's Rush, it's great. And part of the reason that this song is like the exception to the rule, why I like it, even though it's so crazy heavy, is not only because their musicianship is incredible, but because of the lyrics. The lyrics in this piece have always gripped me so much. We're on my spell. Yeah. Heaven's justice will prevail. Yeah. Fantastic lyrics. It's a cynical piece to be sure, but it's articulated so well. I like the idea of this, of a harsh reality coming into view for this character that is, is going through this journey in this record. I love the phrase, I was brought up to believe the universe has a plan. We are only human, it's not ours to understand. That's a fantastically brilliant phrase. Yeah. Uh, fantastically, you know, humbling phrase. Yeah. yeah. The lyrics have always stood out to me ever since I first heard this back in, in 2012. Um, it's gritty, but sometimes I, I I really like some dark lyrics. Sometimes a bit of intensity and a bit of pessimism is good. Um, it's a relatable feeling. Um, and and sometimes I like a cold slap of cynicism. I mean, I like house. You want so some cynicism on that sandwich, dude. You want some just a light little spread on like both sides of the of, of the bread on your sandwich. Is that too a much? Little light spread of cynicism. Okay. Would you like some avocado? It's a premium topping. It's going to cost the premium topping. <laughs> Shoot, it's policy. I'm sorry. It's policy. We. It's a premium topping. Uh, I mean, just this phrase alone in in the song: the joy and pain that we receive each comes with its own cost. The price of what we're winning is the same as what we've lost. Uh, you know, it's weird because it's the, and the one hand, the character's starting to say the universe has a plan, but we're only human. It's not ours to understand that kind of is like, well now nothing has any reason hmm. I'm thrown into chaos. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, the price of what we're winning is the same as what we've lost in a way. It's kind of like, okay, there's that sense of balance. The same of what we're winning is the same as what you lose. When you win, there's always a loss as well. When someone wins, someone always loses. Each comes with its own cost. That sense of cost, that phrase alone kind of seems to me to contradict in a way there's no order or reason or something. To me, that kind of symbolizes some type of karmic justice in a way, or mm. or, or karma in a way. Um, maybe that's not true, because karma seems to signify if you do something bad, something good will happen. 
uh, or, or if you do something bad, then something bad will happen to you. But it has this kind of sense of the universal law of, um, law of conservation of energy or mass or something that nothing is ever truly lost. It's just placed somewhere else. Um, interesting. So that's what, what I think of when, with phrases like that, but, um, you know, it's a cynical piece, you know, um, blind, we're blind men in the market buying what we see, believing what we're told until our final breath. Um, while a lovely watchmaker, you know, loves us all to death or leads us all to death. Doesn't he say say another, I thought he said like prize. What do you mean? Does he say that while while our loving watchmaker prize us all to death? I thought I heard. I thought that's what Getty was saying right there. Am I wrong? I always heard loves us all to death. Okay. While our lovely watchmaker loves us all to death. Interesting. Oh, I must have been hearing hearing, hearing that wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a dark piece, but lyrically I love it because I, I kind of love this whole. Now my entire worldview is shifted, and here's the dark, harsh reality that's that's really underneath. Here's the here's the matrix, or or the world outside the matrix. The world outside the matrix. That is interesting. You know, I have not looked into that song as much as uh, it, well. Every everything that you're telling me is all um, new, so I'm still processing. This is, I mean, a universe has a plan. All is for the best. Some will be rewarded, and the devil will take the rest. It's yeah. That's great. It has this sense of this sense of justice slash injustice. Yeah. You know that whole topic is really discussed in this song, and I really enjoy it. I really, really cool. enjoy it. Anyway, it's a rocker. It's a rocker. For it, sure. it is. It's, it's intense. Oh man! All right, dude, we're getting down to it. Okay, number two for your drum. Number two. Here we go. Oh yeah! It's classic. It's got to be. It's a classic. It's a classic. So number two, number two on my list is the classic, <laughs> classic Tom Sawyer coming from Rush's 1981 album *Moving Pictures*. Um, I'll begin this with a quote by Stuart Copeland, actually, uh, the drummer, the drummer of the Police. Um, he says, "Quote: Neil is the most air drummed to drummer of all time." <laughs> He pushes that band, which has a lot of musicality, a lot of ideas crammed into every eight bars, but he keeps mm-hmm. the throb, which is the mo- which is the important thing. And he can do that while doing all kinds of cool crap. And so, in yeah. quote, and that quote reminded me of this song. I mean, he's it doesn't it doesn't feel. I mean, when I say the word cr- when he's saying the word crammed. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't sound. I don't know. Crams comes off as a as a kind of has a negative connotation to it, but that's not that's yeah. not what it feels like here. Um, he's he's very very precisely fitting these sixteenth notes very fast throughout the whole song with one hand essentially. Um, yes, it's and, crazy. And and the epic drum fills after guitar solo have been air drummed more than ever. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I always air drum. Yeah, I just I, the thing is, is that there's there's a lot of drummers who've done that. There's I mean, there's Neil is playing. I mean, he's playing these single roll, just kind of kind of stuff, except it's much faster. But everybody's done that. Not everybody, but a lot of people in rock have done that. And I have yet to figure out the reason why Neil became the most air drummed drummer of all time. I, I, he wasn't the first. 
He wasn't the first yeah. to do this. Um, no. And I, I don't, I can't subjectively could say that maybe he's the best. Um, but I don't know. The, I don't know the reason why. I don't know if it was because of he of the way that he delivered the, so much power into his playing, or if it was the types of drums that he played, or it was because he had the space to do it because Rush was a trio. I don't know. I don't understand it. Um, I don't understand why he was that way, but he was, and everybody loves it. And yeah. um, and so this song has to be on the list because of how popular it made Neil, and how much the public loved it. Um, the song is a drumming monster, and what makes it even more impressive is something about Neil. And is this is that when Neil played stuff live, I, I think there's um, and a, a, a phrase that I used earlier was was raw abandon versus craft and discipline, and um, Neil brought craft and discipline to a raw abandoned genre. And the way that he delivered and wrote drum tracks and everything uh, became this craft. And uh, and not only for the construction of the um, of the song on the album, but live, he did the same mm-hmm. thing too. He did the same thing. And what makes this song specifically more impressive is that when they played it live, the vocals could change, the bass line could change, the guitars could change, but the drum. The drums have to be spot on every time. It has right. to be because everyone expected what he did on the record. I don't know. I don't understand. Yeah. Rush is an anomaly. They are an anomaly. There's just certain things you can't you can't explain, mm-hmm. and he has to be spot on every time. And he did it. And he did it every time. And every song that they did, from Subdivisions to Tom Sawyer to YYZ to a lot of the songs that made them huge, the drum parts were so important to be played the way that they were played. And if you put up a drum cover of a Rush song, if you don't play it the way Neil played it, you will get crap for it. You just will. Yeah. And oh, yeah. you, you got to do it the way that he did it. And he did it for freaking 30 years. Yeah. So precisely and so well. And Tom Sar being such an epic drum piece. And he even admits itself when he plays it correctly, it's a good day. Yeah. And so Cause it's tough for him. Cause it's tough for him. So if, Neil says it's hard if, and if everybody loves it so much, I mean, it's, it's, that's why it's number two is because of the incredible amount of just, well, once again, precision and power combined with the ultimate limelight into the public, uh, you know, no pun intended, but also <laughs> the incredible amount of, uh, or, or the incredible, um, precision of how they played all of all of his songs live and how well he did it and so you knew what to expect but it that was also the the charm of their shows so that's why tom sorry is number two very cool very cool yeah that's i mean you know that's when they play at freaking hockey arenas. Yeah, dude. Right. You'll hear yeah. Tom Sawyer there because dude. they're a Canadian band and hockey's popular in Canada and like they're like what like we gotta we got to play some Rush. We got to play some Tom Sawyer. And it's because of the drums. It's a huge part of it is the drums. Dude, okay. Small anecdote. You got to hear this. This is actually hilarious. Uh, I So I live I live in Nashville, of course. I went to a Nashville Predators game, uh, the hockey team. Went to a Nashville Predators game with my family uh, probably about uh, a little under a week ago. And you know how they have um, – baseball's more so popular for having a live organ player. But – uh, the hockey, you know, Nashville Predators have have an organ player, probably because it's Music City and they have to have a oh. musician play. So they had an organ player. And guess what I heard? 
What did you hear? Subdivisions on an organ. That's so awesome. And I was like, what? What? What is this? It was weird. It was weird because I was like, I didn't expect that to be at a hockey game in Nashville and hear subdivisions on an organ. No. All of that combined was just like, what? Anyway. That is hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. It was so funny. But anyway, that's number two. You ready for number two? For yours? Yours. Oh, mine. Yeah, that was mine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm super pumped. Here we go. Oh, man. Spirits fly on dangerous missions. Imaginations on yes. fire. Yeah, so, so good. Yeah, this is my number two spot. It's high up there. Um, this is um, off of their 1987 record, Hold Your Fire. This song is called Mission. I'm glad something off this record is, is included. Yeah. This is one of the most inspiring songs I have ever heard in my entire life. It has so much spirit and so much passion in it. Agreed. Uh, at, at, at first, I was not a fan of their 80s stuff. When I was first getting into Rush, I almost strictly liked their 70s stuff. And once they started to hit signals and stuff like subdivisions, subdivisions was the exception. But I remember first hearing signals and being like, subdivisions is the only good song. Or Power Windows being like, the big money is the only good song. Yeah. And the rest I didn't really like because it was too synth heavy at that time. And then I started to listen to them more and more. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is all amazing. Um, so. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, you know, I, I have to give credit where credit is due. Um. Caleb Powell, shout out to Caleb Powell. Uh, he's the drummer for uh, an amazing Nashville local band, uh, Slider. Plug for them. Uh, we 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 used to hang out with a, a couple of musicians uh, back in the day. We we're all teenagers and we all loved Rush. That was something we all liked. Yep. Um, me, you, Destin. Ke- uh, what me? Wow. Me, you, Marcus. Me, you, Destin. Caleb. Shut up. Welcome to me. <laughs> member of the episode. Me, you, Marcus, uh, and Caleb, and and uh, a couple of others. But uh, Caleb was telling me, he was like, "Dude, have you ever heard Mission?" I'm like, "It was off. Hold your fire, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, it's so good." I'm like, "I don't really know." And then he told me how much he really enjoyed that song, and I was like, mm, "Maybe I should take another look at it." And I listened to it a few more times, and I gradually started to like more of their '80s sound in general more and more. And then it hit me: this was a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece, and it and it really speaks to the dreamer in me yeah i'm always captivated when getty sings that part that it just faded out but we each pay a fabulous price for our visions of paradise yep but a spirit with a vision is a dream Dream with with a mission love it uh yeah sometimes a phrase says it better than any analysis could ever do uh or any explanation could ever do forward you know and i think this is proof i think this is proof right here um so I don't know what more to say. Um, the song is about someone who wishes that they had an unstoppable goal, a ravenous ambition. They wonder what it would be like to be so driven. And I think this song does a great job of showing the awesomeness of that dream and that desire by presenting the perspective of someone watching people with those desires and with those dreams. I wish I had their dreams, right? I walk through the beautiful buildings and I wish I had their dreams. You know, wow. I think it's a, it's a very interesting perspective to put that rather than the person who has the drive or the ambition. It's someone who wants that drive, who wants that ambition. That brings it home so much more, doesn't it? Yeah. Wow. I, it, I yeah. you know, I didn't think about that until I was, you know, 
trying to, to in preparation for this, for this episode. But I always thought, Oh, inspiration, inspiration, this song. And it will always have that to me. It's great. And I was like, wait a second. The perspective is not of the person who has that. It's the person watching someone who has that. That is incredible. Interesting to me. Why? Why? I think it just brings it home so much more. It's not, I have this passion. I have this dream. It's this person who's like, I see people who have that. And I want that. That makes the drive so much more to me. That is, I did not, I did not know that. Someone who lacks that, but wishes they had it. That makes it so much more. So interesting. I just want to end with this. This song is the epitome of inspiration. Love it. All right. Sorry. That's beautiful. It's beautiful, Drew. (laughs) <laughs> thanks yeah, okay are we doing honorable mentions now yeah, before we, we get to the... throw in a couple of them here so it... all right we're doing a watch mojo thing yeah we're doing a... yeah this is a watch mojo plug um so I, I got i got a couple of i got a couple of honorable mentions i got so yo huge shout out to my boys uh whoa yeah um no it's a couple of honorable mentions uh the first one i got to throw in there is witch hunt from moving pictures nice um, the, the the double drums and just the not, not like he already had enough power, but they just, they just stick out. They stick out, and they stick it out. Okay. Stick it out. Not included on the honorable mention. But uh, yes, thank you. Witch hunt, gotta throw that one in there. Xanadu, monster drum track. Gotta mention that one. Um, Mystic rhythms, love that one as well. Mm, um, yes. Yyz, I have to make an honorable, honorable. Oh, of course. Yyz, of course. Extremely creative based off of Toronto International Airport. Even though it's a lyricless drum track, it still brings Rush home. Um, oh, yeah. Natural Science, what the heck? The yes! What in the world? Um, book two, Cygnus X1 book two. Gotta, gotta throw out a shout out to that. It's very, very technical. Um, very hard to play. Extremely hard to play. Um, and it's extremely long, too. Uh, it's just, it wears you out. The Main Monkey Business. Huge shout out to that one. Yes. Very creative huge rocker but also throws in some other elements of Neil that um are uh are, are fun are fun to listen to i mean he, he just he carries right on force 10 from Holter fire oh yeah also another one that really gets carried a lot but but um i will that's also lyrically that's also a great one too lyrically, sorry force 10 is incredible yes um but my number one has to come back to the absolute behemoth it is just a behemoth of a record. wait. Wait is is this is this the the number one or not number mention? My number one. This is this is your number one. one. Sorry, I was not expecting you. You you went through. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm all right. Okay. I'm strapped in. The number one. This comes from the just absolute. It's an absolute behemoth of a song. It is La Villa. Yeah. Okay, yeah, this uh, this song, this song, this song is my this is my last one because. Okay, let me all right, let me back up. Let me back up. All right, we have a lot of sentimental attachment to this. We do. Holy crap! Okay, so so the whole the name of the song is La Villa Strangiato. Um, the song comes from their 1978 album Hemispheres. Once again, um, a quote. I found a quote from online on this song and uh, and I, I wanted to put this in here for it's it's an interesting quote it's an interesting quote I'll just read it here it says quote 
Hearing an isolated drum track with all of Neil's ghost notes made me realize how terribly I had underestimated him as a drummer. He always sounded stiff and boringly technical on the records to me, but he actually plays with feel and groove, end quote. And that quote sums up what I think about about this song. Um, whenever someone who, says, "Who said that? Who said that?" Uh, it's somebody online. I just read it. Oh, okay, okay. It, yeah, just a form from online. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I actually think I found it from Reddit uh, to be more specific. Okay. But uh, okay. whenever somebody says that Neil doesn't live up to his reputation, this is the song I reference. Um, so much feel in it. It's almost ten minutes of a sheer workout. The song shows a deep understanding, and and uh, of course, I'm coming at this from a drumming perspective. So. Um, if some of this goes over people's head, don't worry about it. Um, the song shows a deep understanding of accents and dynamics, volume, groove, musicality, creativity, drive, power, timing, and technicality. Um, the song has great grooves, isolated drum fills, rock elements, odd time on time signatures, his Latin rive cymbal groove. It's it's a behemoth song, period. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. it, 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 it literally is. sent them away from writing songs like this. That's how right. the song was. A quote from yes. Getty, a quote from Getty literally says, we spent more time recording La Villa Strangiato than the entire fly-by-night record. Yeah. And, yeah. and so it's just, it feels like a create, just a, it, it literally feels like I'm just throwing my guts out as a drummer. Like I'm giving this song everything I got. And when I listen to this, I just, I hear so many different things going on. I'm like, Oh my God, he's doing so much. They are doing so much in this song. Why are they doing this? I don't know, but it sticks out and, uh, it's, it's an incredible, incredible drumming track. And that is why this is my last song to sum up Neil Peart. And, uh, wow. and we also have some, some, Drew and I have some sentimental attachment with this because we played this song our freshman year in high school at a, uh, what we had in our high school being a spring day. And, uh, along wait, with did our, we do this one? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. We did this. Yes, we did. <laughs> I, we I knew played, we played, I knew we rehearsed it a lot. You know, I forgot we, that we actually played. We played this. Remember we played, we, we literally played a three song set. I think we played, um, uh, you really got me by the kinks, but then we did come together by the Beatles. And then we did yeah. Villa Strangiato. And we did by this. And it was, ridiculous. wow. It was ridiculous because, we were a bunch of like 14 or 15 year old kids, 15 year olds, uh, performing this song and no one got it. No, one no, got it. no. I mean, you know, try a, a bunch of teenagers that are there just to hang out and, you we're know, like, like pulling out this song out of our butt. It's just like, what are we doing? It was, it was bad. It was bad. I mean, I'm not, saying it. I'm not, I mean, the, the scenario is bad, but I mean, I think we pulled it off pretty freaking well. I mean, I don't oh, think we did it bad. Considering or, our age. Yes. Considering that. Yeah. We did a pretty great job. I think all things considered, all things considered, but yeah, this song is a beast and, um, it, <laughs> it's crazy. So final, final song, sum up everything about Neil Lavilla Strangiato. That's my number one. I'm giving you a clap, man. Thank that you. That's an you excellent much. list. That was much. an excellent list. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Loved it. Here we go. All right. You ready? Okay, wait. One. 
No, 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 no. Nope. I got to do my honorable mentions. Oh, yes, yes. I'm sorry. So mine's much shorter. Uh, but um, I just I, I had a couple here. Granted, I would have had more if I had more time. That's the okay. last several weeks at work have been absolutely murderous. So okay. I'm just gonna make that excuse right now. Anyways, Anyways honorable to Drew so he doesn't have to work anymore. You yes, yes. Support us on Patreon. Yeah. Or, I was saying that as a joke, Anchor. actually. You can do it on Anchor. But then I realized we actually do have a Patreon. We do. We so do. Uh, <laughs> as well as the Anchor support page as well. <laughs> so if you want Drew not to work anymore, you could. <laughs> it's such a yeah. bad plug. That is yeah, that's such a, a really bad, bad plug. Like, hey guys, if you don't want him to work anymore, just go. Why over do here. we? That's bad. Why do we have this podcast? Why are we? Uh, we just, you know, it's fun. Well, kind of fun. That's kind of fun. I, I, but that's not what happened. But okay. Jeez. All right. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Honorable mentions. Here are my honorable mentions. Uh, Time stand still. Oh, great, lovely, great piece. And I mean, I just love that sense of just freeze this moment a little bit longer. Yep. Make each sensation a little, a little bit, bit stronger. stronger. Yeah. You know, it's just that that whole feeling of being in the moment and appreciating that moment. And that that's a beautiful idea and sentiment in and of itself. And again, Neil just. Neil just does it so well. He just writes it so well. So relatably, but still with a little bit of intellect behind it. Love it. Uh, Free Will. Very much a Neil song. Very much Very this. Neil. Very Neil. Yes. Yeah. Very much that, that you you change the world. You go out and you be that change and, and you have free will. You know, there is no, um, you know, grand designer dictating your moves or that gods, you know, you have bad luck. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, He's, he's challenging those notions and presenting this whole, even if you don't decide, you still have made a choice. Yep. It's all about your choices. Yep. Uh, and I, I, I think that's, uh, he writes it very well. Again, uh, I'm going to say that after each of these. Um, uh, Closer to the Heart was also on there. That's beautiful. Closer to, closer to the Heart. And the men who hold high places must be the ones who start to mold a new reality closer to the heart. Again, that sense of idealism and everything. And it, like you said, kind of brings in that class system to, um, well, you had mentioned political. That's yep. why I bring that up. Yes. You said that that record seemed kind of political to you. And, and to me, part of politics is kind of that, you know, division between classes and it always kind of has been that way. Right. But, um, but yeah, he says philosophers and plowmen, right? Those are the two polar opposites. Philosophers back in the day were able to be philosophers because they were wealthy. Yeah. Well, they can sit on their butts and think about these higher concepts because they don't have to go out and work in the fields. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, so anyways, uh, Closer to the Heart, fantastic piece. Uh, very idealistic, and I, I love that aspect of it. Um, I put After Image on there, which was a surprise to me. Interesting. Um, but After Image, I, I listen to it more and more, and I'm thinking, wow, this really does hit home, especially when you think of the loss of a friend, whether it be to suicide, whether it be to some unfortunate accident or external force yeah. other than themselves that happened, that untimely death. That I love that phrase. It's very, very simplistic, but it's that, that I feel the way you would. I love that phrase. That is one of the most relatable phrases I think Neil has ever written in their career. And it's incredibly simple. I think that's what makes it very relatable. Right. I feel the way you would. And the way Getty sings that and kind of sh shrieks that out uh, against that cry of tragedy. Uh, I, I, you know, this was going through the record. I was like, I totally forgot about this song. But wow. it's it's amazing. I love that song. I think it's a, a great, yeah. uh, I do too. great song right after that, you know, one of their bigger yeah that this and early one. yeah I mean, that was a huge song but yeah suddenly you were gone from all the lives you left your mark upon um it's fantastic yeah, and great. the last honorable mention is dreamline off of world of bones ah, again i thought that was gonna be the one i thought no it's not one 
No, it's oh, not. I'm, not, I'm no, it's not for a ring here. I don't know. I don't know what to expect here. I thought. So you don't know what's it. coming next. I'm happy that I dispelled your expectation. Yeah, I thought that was gonna be it. <laughs> Dreamlight is a fantastic piece. The the chorus is so strong. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, when I was kind of prefacing a bunch of things, um, when it says we are young, wandering the face of the earth, wondering what our dreams might be worth. Um, yeah. What? I mean, just that sense of kind of exploring and understanding your own mortality. Yeah, yeah. Um, learning that we're only immortal for a limited time. What a what a great phrase that is. <laughs> that feeling that we can't die, but then it just hits home so hard, right? When you realize, oh, crap. Yeah. Crap. <laughs> yeah. And it reminds me of a part in, I think it's in Mad Men, where he says kids don't under, have no sense of their own mortality. And then another person in that scene says that's why they make great soldiers. They make great soldiers, yeah. Right, I remember that um, season. Golly, that's an early season. Season, quote. it is. I think. I thought it was like a season. Because he says one. that he says that in like a in that in a pitch meeting. No, no, I think he's talking with Arnold, isn't he? Oh, it's God. in season six when he's talking know. with the doctor because his son's going to war. No, maybe oh, not. Maybe it is an early Rosen? season. Or I don't Rosen? know. What's his name? Doctor Rosen. Something. Rosen. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> no, whatever. So <laughs> off topic. Okay. Sorry. So off topic. We both love Mad Men. Anyways. Um, so yeah, Dreamlight, fantastic song. It almost made the list. It was very, very close. There were different reasons I put different different songs on here. Um, but are you ready for number one, Dustin? I have another idea, but I'm gonna let it I'm gonna let it play. I'm gonna let it play. Okay. I'm ready for this. Here we go. Yeah. Yes, I was right. Yeah. I was right. What a brilliant piece. Um Oh yeah. This song. You know what what can I say about it other than that it's a rush song that always makes me go, oh yeah. Oh when I yeah. hear it come on. But okay, oh, I mean okay, I say that about a lot of rush songs. Uh but this one is just so brilliant. Yeah. Um you know, we even played it a bunch we covered this as well back in high school, did we not? We did. We did. We yep. did. Uh from a lyrical standpoint, I find it one of the best as well. I think the music really helps the, the lyrics come out. Yep. But the lyrics in and of themselves are just there's just so much hope in them yeah. there's so much weight behind them they're absolutely sublime i love the sentiment knowing that you have to go through a lot of pain but not counting it all up and not letting it get to you it's a song about being brave in a sense that i don't often think about it's not about puffing out your chest or taking on new challenges per se it's about knowing those challenges will come and dealing with the hardships without letting them consume you or define you. If yeah. you keep thinking about the cost, then you can't move forward. And it reminds me, again, I'm gonna reference Mad Men. It's my favorite show, I'm sorry. It reminds me of a moment in Mad Men, one of my favorite shows. Spoiler alert for anyone, if you haven't seen it, I mean, it's been several years, like 2015 <laughs> is when they ended. It's, it's, so it's been almost behind. five years, way you're a little behind, but I'm giving you the spoiler alert. So there it is, I put it out there. Peggy is one of the characters, uh, you know, she's been through a lot. She's now a more established woman in her career. Uh, she hasn't seen her child that she gave birth to in a while that she gave up. Um, she, she hasn't seen her child in a while and she says why she doesn't. She says, I don't know. I don't know what's happened to, to that child. I don't know where he is. I think it was a son she had. But it's not because I don't care. Uh, I don't know because you're not supposed to know or you can't go on with your life. And I love that phrase. And I think that this song kind of pairs with it very well. Um, 
yeah, just knowing that that you you can't count that cost. You will pay it. We will pay that price, but we can't count the cost. That's a great phrase in and of itself. The song gets even better when he do, introduces the concept of love. I interpret yeah. it as love being the reason for being so brave because love is worth all the pain. If love remains, right? That's the lyric in the song. Yep. And if love remains, though everything is lost, we will pay the price, but we will not count the cost. Yeah. The song is fairly melancholic until that point. Um, I, I would love the song in and of itself, even if it didn't have this part at the end, but I'm so glad that it does. Um, it makes it so much better because I can I can I can relate to the lyrics already, but then at the end it just gives that hope that is also so relatable that love, but the love part at the end it just makes it even better. It's that sweet hint of hope that the song needs to lift you up. Hmm. So I don't know. It's poignant and yet uplifting at the same time. Yeah, it's I a love, brilliant I piece. Love and the, the yeah. um, I love the the highlight of the vocals as well. I mean, you know, after the intro, it comes down and all it is is just mm -hmm. feel very lightly and then just, and then Getty, you know, hitting just simple, right. simple bass note or, or um, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Just the, uh, the bass guitar, right? And no guitar. And it's just right. Getty singing. And so there's, right. there's almost like a, uh, a focus on the lyrics in the song. It's like, yeah. Hey, listen, right it, here. yes. Listen right here. Like, listen. Yes. And so I agree. I, yeah. I like that about, I, I like that about bravado. It always stuck out as it was interesting. Like when I think of a rush song, like some of them, you know, when you, you think of some of them as, as an instrumental, right. They have, right. they have instrumentals like YYZ, La Villa Strangiato, stuff like that. Um, right. Malignant narcissism. These are instrumentals, right. but bravado is like, this is a lyrical song. This is a lyrical song. Like this is a lyrical right. track. You listen to it because yeah, there is sure. lyrical content here. And the reason why we know that is because they're forcing us to listen to it. It's like, yeah. listen right here. <laughs> you know, we're making us the highlight. And, uh, and from Neil's perspective on this as a drumming, there's a, it's, it's a very simple song, but he does throw in some, um, some pretty technical stuff at the, at the second half part of the, uh, the second half of the song, um, switching where he's hitting that, into the snare and then the floor tom and then also doing the right. alternating between the bell and stuff like that really creative right. really cool and it's a great song i love it yeah it's beautiful uh, sorry i had to yeah. throw that in there <laughs> beautiful and love it we're just throwing that out there yeah oh man that's a good one to end the list with it's a good one yeah. to end the list with i was like he's got it because you were talking about how it's going to be like i think at the 80s and the 90s when he hit his stride so i'm like okay his number one <laughs> between the eighties and the nineties. What can I think of? And I was like, maybe mystic rhythms, but then I was like, no, that one's already on there. And then I was like, dreamline. I was like, no. And then bravado was my second choice after that. Yeah. That's a great list. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank man. you. All right. Well, we should sum this up because we've gone obviously a little over than what we normally do. <laughs> right. But, uh, but yeah, so thank you guys for, for listening with us for uh, about two hours now hopefully you know we've yeah we've ha held your attention this oh, long. gosh so yeah. thank you guys for listening to this to our episode these is our podcast these are our prog notes on neil peart um if you enjoyed the episode learn something new from the episode you guys can please subscribe and share you can also follow us on instagram at prog underscore notes you can also email us at prognotespodcast at gmail.com we appreciate all feedback and comments um, and Drew, yeah, you wanted to say something as well. Yeah. I just want to say in the vein of emailing us, if you like this episode, if you like Neil, uh, if you enjoy rush or anything, 
Uh, we made our lists. If you guys have any of yours that you just want to type up and send us, we'd love to hear it. We love all yep. things Rush, uh, and we really appreciate Neil. So if you have uh, a list where you're like, oh, I kind of want to do like a, a mixture of lyrics and drumming, or for an entirely different reason altogether that we haven't even discussed on this show yet, if you have a list uh, of Neil songs that you like that you think are kind of you know demonstrate his best. Then, uh, then type it up and send it to us. We'd love to look it over. We th- we think it'd be really cool. You know, we just want to discuss, uh, you know, his influence and everything, and and uh, admiring his work is part of that. Yeah, so, how he influenced anyways. you. If you're a, a musician, drummer, absolutely, lyricist, just a Rush fan, whatever, regular listener. So, absolutely, um, you can also leave us a review if you liked or disliked the show. Um, and uh, in our last episode, we had everybody vote. On what episode you'd like us to do next? We had a choice of three different albums that we chose, and uh, and if you didn't see that, well, you should follow us on Instagram um, because we post all that stuff on there as well as on Facebook and stuff like that. Um, but Drew, what album will that be that we had the, that won the popular vote? Uh, the album that won was "Deloused in the Comatorium" by the Mars Volta. So this this is uh, the bands we chose for this list. I'm pretty sure, Dustin, we hadn't heard any of them. They, they were we have not. You know, the, the, the we, there was a Spock's Beard one on there. There was a Dream Theater yep. one, and then there was this. There was the Mark Volta. Uh, yep. And this one. And this one. This one. one so. We haven't heard uh, it, so this is we're going in totally blind. Yep. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. See how it goes. So join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future prog rock. Rest in peace, Neil. We'll talk to you guys very soon. Thanks.